106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Who is the first president of the United States? Steve Jobs. What is the 4th of July? 4th day. The 4th day of July is that day. The 4th day. What is the capital of California? Oh, you see, this is, this is a trick question, but I know I take English course. Uh, it is the capital C. Why did the pilgrims come to America? Uh, oh, the pilgrims come for Thanksgiving. Turkey. What do the stars on the American flag represent? Um, it represents uh, the people who make it a flag, all the 50 of them. Who was the first president of the United States? Um, I don't think there was one. What do the stars on our flag represent? Uh, the stars? Uh, we, every time we go to the moon, they put one star, they bring it back from the space. Who is Martin Luther King Jr.? Oh, he's a very good basketball player. Which president freed the slaves? Obama. Can you please uh, sing the national anthem of the United States? Yeah, why not? Oh, sir, can you see? There's a dawn, a light, a so proud we share. In somewhere, then we dare. In the mountain, Who becomes president of the United States if the president should die? I mean, it's no problem. They call me, I come sign up. 100% take the job. What is the 4th of July? It is the fourth day of the month. It also represents the birthday of my good friend Mustafa Muhammad Mustafa. What is the capital of your state? San Francisco. Who was Martin Luther King Jr.? Uh, the rapper. Can you recite your ABCs? A, B, Z, D, E, F, Z. What is the White House and where is it located? The White House is where black stay with his wife and is located in Texas. Good afternoon, good night. Whenever you're catching us, this is Lou Benninger, and you're listening to No Hostages Radio at nohostagesradio.com or however you found us uh, through one of your app sources. This is our fourth uh, go-around from switching over to live radio. So hopefully a few more of you are catching us, following us. Uh, we noticed <clears throat> last week there were quite a bunch from out in Missouri that had found us, I think through one friend of mine that just recently uh, declared himself a refugee from California and headed to Missouri. 
So uh, he's having some influence and getting us some listeners. So it's up to me to keep them. So we're going to be on here for about three hours today. And uh, the nice thing about podcasts is you can dip in and get a good, good quality listen uh, at any time of the night or day that you wish. So uh, you can reach me if you want to email me at Lou, L-O-U, at church, uh, sorry, Lou at NoHostagesRadio.com. Lou at NoHostagesRadio.com, or you could dial me up or text me at 530-713-1838, 530-713-1838, and you could leave me a message, or uh, if you want to have some input into where we're headed with this show. So uh, I wanted to talk a little bit today about uh, government, government taxes to begin with, because in Northern California, where uh, we're broadcasting from, uh, and maybe Northern California and maybe California in general, uh, his, is becoming legendary uh, for crazy government. So I've lived here all my life, was born and raised here, and travel some, but, but basically live here uh, year-round for many, many years, and have seen some uh, amazing, dramatic changes in the state of California. At one time, it was a very conservative state. Uh, people tended to flock to this state for opportunity, and uh, there was housing, uh, beautiful uh, resources here, lots of places to visit. Uh, you could start up businesses here relatively easy. Taxes were fair. And uh, it was just a, a place that attracted people from all over the world. So now uh, we're seeing actually people moving out of the state. And it's the first time in my life that I've actually had friends that have been here for many, many years, and now they're moving uh, a state over or two or three states over for a variety of reasons. And some of those reasons are economic. Uh, it's just very expensive to live here. Uh, the legislature in the state of California has been controlled by liberals or Democrats for over four decades, and they've made a lot of changes. They made changes to the tax structure. We have some of the highest taxes in the nation, whether you look at uh, sales taxes, income taxes, you'll notice that a lot of athletes that are professional athletes maybe play here uh, for teams here, but uh, actually live elsewhere. So uh, a lot of businesses have been uh, leaving, moving their headquarters to other states to get uh, cheaper real estate, less uh, property taxes, less income taxes, etc., less corporate taxes, and on and on and on. This is actually a state where uh, if you are an employer, no matter when you go to court, uh, maybe an employee has, has got an axe to grind against an employer, uh, judges automatically rule against the employee. So businesses are just saying, you know, I can take this business and do it somewhere else. And, and so that's what's going on. In the state of California, uh, we have the largest pension program for state and county, all kinds of government workers, city, county, state. It's called CalPERS, uh, and it's the largest such plan in the United States, and it's got nothing but problems. And there's also a CalSTRS for teachers, but CalPERS is what I'm going to talk about for a few minutes today. And the problem is that the plan was uh, a corrupt plan to begin with, and it promised people to pay them a high percentage of their income 
in retirement uh, the same income that they worked. So hardly anybody in the private sector could do that. In other words, you set aside money as you work in the private sector and you hope some of your investments pay off, whether you invest in real estate or, or whether you invest in mutual funds or stocks or whatever. You hope that uh, eventually you'll have a nest egg there to live off of through the years that you don't want to work full time. What the government has done, because they can vote themselves increases, uh, they have voted themselves uh, a pension plan where they, um, in many cases, they'll get 60, 70, 80, 90 percent of their pay that they got in the highest uh, year of yield. Uh, you'll get that the rest of your life. In some cases, I'll even get health benefits. What, what's that, what that has done is the government uh, in California, which is run by employee unions, and the pension f fund, which is directed by employee unions, they basically dictate uh, whatever they want. And the voters, the taxpayers who have to pay for this, uh, have little or no say in it. So let's just back up a little bit again to say myself, I've never been a part of a government employee situation. I've always taken care of myself. So the money that I put in a retirement fund or in savings, that's all my money. In other words, I make 100% of that payment. There's no other uh, business that cooperates and say I pay 50% and the business that I work for pays 50%. But in the government system, the employee pays very little into the fund. And so the rest of the contribution for the pension payment uh, to be set aside to eventually pay that person when they decide to retire, uh, the majority of that's being paid by taxpayers, as opposed to in the private sector where the private person ends up setting aside 100% of whatever money they want to set aside each month or each uh, quarter each year that they'll hope uh, generates income that they'll benefit from uh, down, down the road a bit. So that puts an inordinate burden on the, the general fund or the, ta uh, the, uh, the flow of tax dollars coming into the city, the county, the agency, whatever. So in the future, as more and more people retire, which more and more people are retiring and more and more people are living longer, uh, we have what we call an unfunded liability. An unfunded liability is, is kind of an interesting term. You would not allow that, uh, that would not uh, be allowed to happen in your personal life. In, in other words, if you went to a bank to get a loan, they want you to fill out an income and a balance statement showing how much you earn, how much you owe, how much you'll be paying um, uh, in monthly payments, whether you have credit card debt, house debt, whatever debt you have, they're going to look at your debt to income ratio, debt to asset ratio, and determine whether you're solvent. In other words, whether you're uh, in the black, as they say, versus like in the red. And if you're in the black, you're good probably to get a certain amount of loan. If you're in the red, or if you're, the total of your liabilities add up to more than your total of your assets, then you're essentially bankrupt. In other words, if they called all your loans, uh, you couldn't afford to pay, pay them. So what's happened is in the private sector, uh, things that we do not allow in the private sector, in other words, we don't allow you to get endless loans when you can't show an ability to pay them off, right? You just say, well, I'm hoping I'm going to get some more income out in the future. 
but bankers will not loan you on your hope or your presumption upon the future. However, in the government, they've allowed um, the pension fund to have what we call an unfunded liability. In other words, the money is owed to the people that are going to be retiring, but the government has not set aside this money to pay those debts. So they're, they're saying, oh, well, we'll get to that later. Basically, they're saying we will get to get, get to that later. Every year when more and more people retire, we'll come up with more and more money. So in, in our local area here, I use the example of Yuba County. We're actually located in Yuba County in Northern California. Uh, but we have a Yuba Sutter County, Twin Cities, a river separates us. But Yuba County, uh, I'll just use that as an example to keep it simple. Robert Bendorf, he's the county administrator, would say every year, our income is improving, but the cost of doing business, a euphemism, a cost of doing business is going up. What he means by that, the cost of doing business means pensions are going up, the pension payment, the unfunded liability, and the health costs are going up. So we can't afford to pay that. So what happens is... The pensions that were promised by politicians, politicians got promises from unions. They said, we will support you in your election. If when you get elected, you will vote for our increases. So they did that. They got elected and they voted for their increases. And so then what happens is we have an unfunded liability. Well, when a uh, when a politician retires or, or leaves office or gets voted out, he leaves that th those bad decisions well, with the next people, and it just gets passed on. It's kind of like uh, you tell your, your kids, you're at the end of your life, you tell your kids, I'm going to leave this house to you, I'm going to leave the farm to you when I, when I die. And kids say, oh, that's great, I'd like to farm. But when, they, when you die and they end up getting the inheritance, they realize that you actually borrowed a bunch of money against the farm and actually they owe money they owe more money than the farm's worth so that's what's going on here politicians are making guarantees to unions who then are uh telling their uh union members to vote for the union leadership because we're getting you the highest pensions in the, in the state and the highest pensions in the country so what's happening is uh like in yuba county they keep using the term, the cost of doing business. Well, they don't want the, the average taxpayer to realize that more and more of the taxes that they pay each year, instead of, instead of going to pay for roads, sewers, uh, maintenance of properties, uh, fixing up the courthouse, improving the recreation, building parks, in other words, things that they could enjoy, most of that money is going to go for paying for people to not work that's called a pension when you pay somebody to not work that's called a pension and so uh, during the major k campaign to uh that was a campaign here locally in yuba county and it's happening all up and down the state and, and i think there were 50 or 60 different cities or counties in the state of california that actually passed uh sales tax increases on top of what the state was getting they were passing local initiatives, 1%, 1.5%, etc., in order to keep all of that 1% to do what? Well, they promised a lot of things that everybody wants because, uh, like, they promised more police and fire or a secure police and fire system. Uh, 
but because but the fact is the money was going to pay these debt this unfunded liability they had to fund it somehow it's got to be funded because they made this promise without any uh, wherewithal to pay it it's kind of like saying to somebody i'll buy your house and we'll just make a contract between one each other and uh, i'll pay you a thousand dollars a month but really you don't have any ability to pay that money and so you move in and you start to enjoy that house and the person keeps wondering well when you're going to make a payment say well i the money didn't come in this month i'll pay it next month i'll pay it next month that's called an unfunded liability you owe the money it's a liability but you don't have any funds to fund it so uh during the major k campaign where the county of yuba the the supervisors and the administration of the county of yuba began to sell this one percent sales tax as a public safety tax now why would they sell that that way because the public relations firm that they hired is uh they're experts at uh deceiving the public and so they said you cannot go and tell the public that what we need this money for is to pay pensions because most of the public doesn't even have much of a pension themselves so they're not going to vote for more money to tax themselves for more money to pay for public employee pensions. My my response would be why doesn't public why don't public employees just put money aside just like I did? I put money aside. I didn't ask anybody to help me put put money aside. So it's fair for the taxpayer to say, listen, pay the public employees and then have them if whatever amount they want to set aside for pensions. Have them set aside for pensions. If they don't want any pension, they don't set any money aside for pension. But the way this system is now, it's rigged against the taxpayer. So um, so during the Measure K campaign, people that were opposed to it, uh, there were some pretty sharp people. And one of them was a numbers cruncher for Hewlett Packard, the, the computer corporation. And he began to look at the budget. He looked at it much more closely than the average supervisor did, and he crunched the numbers, and he began to show that Yuba County was in much worse shape than they had uh, depicted. And in fact, he said that they actually owed $148 million in back uh, pensions. In other words, they promised and they guaranteed this is the kind of pensions we're going to pay, but they had no money to pay it. And so when he printed that, and brought that out uh, in social media, supervisors, particularly Gary Bradford, who represents the Plumas Lake area, South County in Yuba County, threw a fit and called him a liar, this, that, and the other thing. The interesting thing is, after all this talk was it was over, and uh, now, uh, this last Tuesday, uh, the supervisors had a meeting. They had a workshop, what they called a workshop. And uh, so they and they were going to get briefed, the supervisors, by Robert Bendorf, the county administrator, on what the situation is with CalPERS. Or in other words, how much does Yuba County actually owe in unfunded liabilities? And uh, so what what number do you think they came up with? Well, they came up with the same number that our friend from Hewlett Packard came up with, and that's one hundred and forty eight million dollars. Now, where do you think that money is going to come from? That money is is going to more and more eat away. When you see when you see the same amount of public employees, like if you go on the website called TransparentCalifornia.com, it's either com or org dot 
com or org, Transparent California. You can look up your county, whatever county you live in, and you can see how many employees you have for your county. And you can see how much you're paying individual employees. And you can see how much you're paying on pensions. The interesting thing about Yuba County is when you counted up all the full-time and the part-time employees, it was over 1,000. And Yuba County has a little over 70,000 inhabitants. That means when you count up part-time and full-time employees, that means we had one employee in this tiny, poor county up in in, uh, Northern California. We had one employee for every uh, 70 individuals. It's amazing. So the question is, do we want that big a government? Now, the founding fathers said we don't want that big a government. We want a very small government, and we want a government that that's responds to the wishes and wills will of the people. We don't want a government that is managed by bureaucrats and just um, bestows their will upon the people. So what uh what was written up here on uh if you want to go on a facebook site it's called no on measure k no on measure k it says yuba county is taking desperate measures in an attempt to fix this that in other words a pension unfunded liabilities and uh it says sure they can prepay the pensions into a 115 trust in other words what they're talking about now is they're talking about taking some of the employees' money that they contribute towards the pensions, and instead of putting it into the CalPERS, they're going to put it into a trust fund, and they're going to invest it, and they think they can make better returns than CalPERS. Now, you would think that the uh, here, uh, the place where Silicon Valley is and all kinds of success and some of the wealthiest people in the world, do you think that CalPERS could have some of the best investment strategies in the world, right? But they don't. In fact, all their uh, their figures, what they're called the actuarials or their projections on how much they need to make to pay off all these pensioners is they need to make 7 to 7.5% seven to, to, uh, to pay back these folks. But they never can come up with that on, a, on an average. So uh, this this write-up on uh, no on measure cases, sure, they can prepay the pension into a 115 trust and get marginally better returns and also shave some dollars off the interest rate that they pay to CalPERS, but they still owe $148 million that has to be paid back. has to be paid. They owe it. They, it's like you went down, you bought the products, now you owe the money. Now that you got the bill at the end of the month, and that's what this is talking about. And so this article says, and what happens if there's an economic downturn, which there always is, that $148 million would will surely increase. And also, see the point in the six, they make a point that uh, Bendorf, the county administrator made a point that there's going to be a 64% increase in the pension payout or payment over the next five to six years. I want you to think about that. What if someone told you that the amount of debt that you owed was uh, you're going to have to increase your payment 64%. I wonder if you could do that. I don't think anybody could. If you owe a certain amount, you owe $100,000, $200,000 in your house, and they said, we're going to ask, you're going to have to increase your monthly payment by 64%, you'd probably say, I'm going to have to give up this house. There's no way I can do that. It, it's going to break the budget. 
So what happens is, is the government of Yuba County, their choice is to reduce the size of government, to lay off people, right? To cut services, which they've already done. I mean, we have some of the worst roads um, in the state of California right up here. And uh, they bragged about, oh, they're going to repair roads. They're going to fix all these roads. Because remember, they when we just went through this repeal of prop, uh, we wanted to repeal the recent increases in, in DMV taxes and gas taxes. You remember that? And the, even the, the government um, leaders over here at Yuba County, they said, oh, don't vote, don't vote to repeal. That was Proposition 6, right? Remember, they said, oh, you know, there won't be any road money. There won't be any road money. Well, the fact is there, there was road money before they, they increased the taxes. They just didn't want to spend it on roads. They just decided we're not going to spend it on roads. We're going to spend it on something else. And so even after uh, they won and Prop 6 did not pass and the repeal did not go through, they still don't have enough money for their roads. So... Uh, so the question is, is being asked by the major six people or the major K people is where is this 64% increase in pension payment going to come from? So, um, so it says here, the summary from the meeting the other day, the current market value of the pension fund is 350, 305 million. The unfunded pension liabilities is 453 million. So the gap is 104 147 million this is just for yuba county which is being paid back over a 30 year period so that's a problem so the whole talk during the measure k effort was a where this is all about public safety and and that's where we're short now there's a term called uh when i say month the monies in government are fungible most of the monies are fungible f-u-n-g-i-b-l-e that means that they can be moved around. So they say, oh, uh, so they'll remove, they won't properly fund police and fire, and they'll spend it on something maybe you and I wouldn't even want to happen. And then they'll turn around and say, we're short on police and fire. Because what? Because counties and cities were originally formed for one purpose, and that was for police and fire. Otherwise, why have one? They wanted fire and police protection. So what happens whenever they want to uh, threaten people or, or put the fear of God in people, if they don't pay more taxes, they say, well, we don't think we're going to be able to respond to a 911 call. In fact, they said during the campaign, we don't think we're going to respond to a 911 call. It's going to take us over an hour to come to a 911 call. So it shocks people, particularly older people who have a lot of physical needs. So they, it's a fear campaign that they, that they uh, waged, and uh, they actually won the election by about 53%, though uh, in the view of the no on Major K people, not enough to get their, their tax plan through, and I'll talk more about that later. So anyway, I wanted to mention that, that um, that is the, kind of the update on that, and I think there's going to be uh, the lawsuit against Measure K is moving forward. So you might think wherever you are, why, why is he talking so much about Yuba County? Well, I'm just giving you an example. If you don't have this problem yet, you're going to have it in California. So I know my friends up in Butte County that listen, they know they already have a couple tax initiatives uh, on the ballot uh, that they're dealing with up there. And so the, the situation is, 
is we need to reduce the size of government and we need to reduce how we're getting government services done. So up until this point, most government have just hired people. They just hire employees and that's what they do instead of subcontract it out. If you subcontract a project out, uh, like some cities that are newer cities in the in the United States, they've chosen to have a very small administrative branch, and then they subcontract everything out. The public administration, public works, they'll hire an engineering firm to do that. And so they don't pay pensions, and they don't pay all the taxes, you know, the uh, extra um, they don't have a human resources department, say, that you would in Yuba County. They simply sub this out. They sub the road work out. They maybe have a person that's in charge of letting out bids, and they hire an engineering firm to come in and do maintenance. It's just um, totally different. So r- what's happening now is the way government's been run in California is they've just hired. They just If they need more work done, they just keep expanding government. And so that increases your pensions. So the only way to get out of the pensions is for people to drop dead, right? If most of your employees drop dead, then you get out a lot of your pensions. But probably people won't. They're going to live longer. That's that's the sad part about the pension problem. People are living longer. And um, the interesting thing is that over and over, the unions have made the pitch to politicians that actually the CalPERS fund could afford to let people retire earlier and at a higher percentage of their earnings that they made each year. And when the legislature bought, the last time they bought into that, they increased the uh, the payroll retirement for, say, certain law enforcement entities like California Highway Patrol to 3%. Uh, so what that meant, three, say 3% at 30 years. So if you retired at 30 years, you take your highest year of uh, income and then you would get three times 30, 3% at 30, three times 30. That's 90% of that highest wage year. Now, I'm just going to ask this. If, you've, if you're done raising kids, you've paid off your house, you've done this, that, and the other thing, what, what would you even need 80 or 90%? of your highest wage earning year when you're not, you don't have all those needs anymore. What it is, is just the fact that the unions have cut what they call a fat hog or a great deal for their union members. And, uh, so when you discuss police and fire, people always get all touchy. Oh, you don't like police and fire. Actually, I don't know anybody that dislikes police and fire unless they just hate the cops. But most people I know appreciate police and fire the question is can we afford them there's a lot of things i like in life but i just can't afford to purchase it just can't afford it it's out of my price range it's beyond my means so the question is what is beyond the means of the average taxpayer and that's the issue that's before all the counties up and down the state of california and that's before the uh the uh, county of yuba now the, the unfortunate thing is the county supervisors and uh, the county administrator, the administration of Yuba County has deceived, have deceived the, the taxpayers. And they have given this depiction that there was no money available. But right after the election, all kinds of monies became available to the county from the Yuba County Water Agency. So we brought up a lot of issues like we brought up how come the water agency is giving four to five hundred thousand dollars a year 
when now they have $100 million in reserves. So that money could be saved. So after the election, they made that change. Then they turned around and, and they, they sent money over from the water agency to the county to pay for half the supervisor salaries. So there's all these monies that are now being made available, but they didn't want to discuss that prior to the election. So they hid all these other sources or funding sources because they wanted that money and they knew that if people realize that this money, this extra millions of dollars that are going to come in is just going to go to pensions and uh, to pay for employee pensions of all kinds of people, not just police and fire, uh, they would not have voted for it. And it would have been voted, it wouldn't have passed even with 50% plus one. So that's a situation here, and uh, that's the fact of the matter. So um, wherever you look, uh, pensions are getting raised, as they say, left and right. Now, uh, there's also a situation going on with the Sutter County Taxpayers Association that they sent me a news release that wherever you look right now in the legislature, whether you look at local local areas, levy districts are trying to get new uh, jurisdictions where they can assess monies from taxpayers uh, to get more money to spend for their efforts. And uh, so people need to be paying attention. So I'm going to take a break right now, and then I'm going to talk about Sutter County Taxpayers Association joins opposition to an assembly uh, constitutional amendment number one, and we'll be right back. Don't want no high-rise tombstone Gonna gather up my saints Don't want to hear you fussing, no If it is, or if it ain't According to a new survey by the Woodrow Wilson National Fellowship Foundation, two out of three college graduates in the United States think Karl Marx's quote, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs, was written by the founding fathers. Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto. That slogan that Marx wrote was supposed to convince people that government redistribution of wealth was the best way to go. He wrote that to sell communism to the people. But two thirds of college graduates think John Adams or Thomas Jefferson or George Washington or Benjamin Franklin wrote it. Dear God, According to the survey, one out of three college graduates can't name a single right protected by the First Amendment. But 10% think the First Amendment protects their right to own a pet. Only 53% know the first 10 amendments are even called the Bill of Rights. Only 35% of college graduates know the first three words of the Constitution, we the people. 60% of college graduates can't name a single step necessary to ratify a constitutional amendment. Half of college graduates don't know how long term limits are for senators or for Congress members. One in 10 think Congress could outlaw atheism. 40% didn't know Congress has the power to declare war. More Americans can name the three stooges than the three branches of government. And 10% think Judge Judy is serving on the Supreme Court. In other words, it's no wonder when a radical socialist like Bernie Sanders promises free college, people cheer instead of asking, is college really educating people? This survey says no. It's actually embarrassing to read the numbers of these polls and realize that the majority of people we talk to every day don't know basic civics. 
less than 100 years after the greatest generation saved the world from the Nazis, 30 years after Reagan saved the world from socialism, 243 years after the first Americans fought and died to give us freedom from the tyrant King George, people these days don't even care what freedoms we have. People just take our liberty for granted. That is not okay. It is your responsibility to learn about our Constitution, our Declaration, our Founding Fathers, our liberty, our system of self-government. If not for yourself, then do it for your children and your grandchildren so that you actually have a free country to pass on to them. We sit here and we have the freedom to post anything we want on social media. I can say anything I want on the show. We can criticize our government as much as we want. Why? because of our First Amendment right to free speech and freedom of the press. Apparently, the majority of college graduates don't even know this. We can afford cable TV and internet and iPhones and cars and designer clothing and travel and food because we rejected the communism of Karl Marx. Apparently, the majority of college graduates don't know this. Our rights, our constitutional rights, are protected because we have a system of checks and balances, three co-equal branches of government instead of a king or a dictator. Apparently, the majority of college graduates don't know this. Our founding fathers, they recognize that our rights aren't given to us by the government, like Marx suggests, but rather we are inherently endowed with certain rights that cannot be violated by government. In fact, it's government's job to protect our inherent rights. If we don't learn this, if we don't appreciate this, if we don't fight to keep protecting our rights against people who want to take them away, then the surveys of the next generation will be even more tragic. Maybe 10% of our generation then will even remember back when we were free. Let's not let that happen. Everybody wants to live together. Why can't we live together? All right, we were talking about taxes, and uh, everyone is facing this. Uh, hopefully, you guys out in Missouri and Idaho. I know I got a I got a text from the Fritz family over in Idaho. I think it's Hagerman, Idaho. I think they said they were paying two dollars, and I think it was seventy six or seventy nine cents. I'll have to check when we take another break for gasoline. We're right at four dollars over here. A lot of that is gas and reg in excess regulations. If you want to stop your gasoline going up over there in these other states, you're going to have to stop more taxes on gas as well as excessive environmental regulations. We'll be talking about that later. So, uh, we, but we appreciate the input on what's shaking over in these other states. So, Sutter County Taxpayers Association, uh, Pat Miller. Uh, who has been a key person uh, with the Taxpayers Association to expose devious behavior on, behard, on behalf of government and trying to take money away from taxpayers without being uh, transparent about what's going on. So Pat Miller says the Sutter County Taxpayers Association has joined a coalition of taxpayer and business groups in opposing Assembly Constitutional Amendment Number 1 which would make it easier for local governments to increase local taxes uh, to be earmarked for public infrastructure and housing by lowering the voter threshold to 55% of the electorate instead of the two-thirds vote required under current law. Just a little background here. A number of years ago, uh, there was a ballot uh, that we voted on, a ballot measure we voted on, 
And folks in California said, listen, if if we're going to increase taxes, then we want at least two thirds of the electorate that votes to say, let's have higher taxes. We do not want 50 percent plus one or 55 percent. We want two thirds. And that passed. So now what's happening is there's a move on uh, in the assembly to change that two thirds to 55 percent. Now, a true democracy is not what the founding fathers wanted because they knew that if you just had one half the people plus one decide that that they did not like the other 49 percent or other 50 percent, 49 something, uh, they could vote and take away anything they wanted. They, they say we don't like people with black skin or we don't like people with this amount of money or we don't like people that speak in this language. They can they could vote anything they wanted. That's why we're ruled by a constitution, right? We have constitution and things didn't have to measure up to the constitution. Just a, it isn't just up to whatever the people want willy nilly every election. So it has to match up with the constitution. And uh, so anyway, Pat writes this news release, and the goal is that these legislatures. Le- legislators want to reduce this from 66 and two thirds of the electorate to 55 percent, making it easier to raise taxes. Now, again, I started off by talking earlier that t- California, uh, if it isn't the highest tax state in the union, it's it competing with like New York. So it says, according to the California Taxpayers Association, the measure would allow local governments to increase parcel taxes. That's taxes on your property, sales and use taxes mellow roost taxes those taxes like out there in plumas lake you got mellow roost taxes those are on your to to build to maintain your infrastructure or to pay back uh, a bond for your infrastructure so they'll be able to increase those uh, taxes with 55 percent instead of two-thirds which is which is what it is in the current state constitution okay aca1 abbreviation would erode Take away the benefits of Proposition 13. Uh, Those are safeguards passed by voters four decades ago to provide a check and balance to local government's taxing authority. Well, let me give you a a hint. Uh, At at one time, uh, if you go to HJTA.org or Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association.org, that organization came about as a result of Howard Jarvis and Paul Gann. Uh, working together to pass a proposition called 13, because back then in the 1970s, uh, people that had uh, raised their kids, worked their rear off, and now were retiring, uh, could not stay in their, their homes that they'd been paying on for, for decades. And and the thing that was driving them out of their homes was their property taxes. So what would happen is any time that an assessor would conclude that the property values had gone up in a particular area, he or she would go out and they would reassess that property and then they would reassess the taxes and raise the property taxes in the entire county. They would change the property taxes. And they could do that every year if they wanted. There was no limitation. So what Prop 13 did is it said you can't do that anymore and we're going to set... The, pro- the property tax rate at a certain rate, and it will go up automatically at a certain rate each year, and it could only change once the property is sold. 
And there's some other nuances to it, but basically that's it. It put a limit on it. So if in at one time under under Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association or HJTA.org, they had a um, a little uh, computation where if you put in the price of your house and the year you bought it, uh, they would tell you or the price the price of your house right now and the year you bought it they would tell you on there how many tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars they've saved you in taxes since you purchased your house. And I put in my house and I bought it in 1987. And honestly, I was shocked to the core. They had saved me like a hundred thousand dollars or some fantastic amount of money in taxes. And I thought the first thing I thought, well, where, where would I have come up with that money? And so that's the reason people were actually at the end of their life, they were having to sell their homes and move into rentals because here that uh, something they invested in their whole life was being taken by the government. So that's Prop 13. Now, ACA 1 would erode the Prop 13 safeguards passed by the voters, and, uh, and it would uh, create uh, higher taxes— on those same piece of property. Now there's a ballot measure coming on uh, the 2020 uh, election, and it's going to try to take away the Prop 13 safeguards of commercial property. So I've, I've been talking about private property or your home, but actually Prop 13 affected also made it a lot cheaper for businesses to operate because they were also being run out of business because of their higher property taxes. So what the the proposition coming up in 2020 is going to be, it's going to try to erode or uh, change the benefits for Prop 13 benefits for business. And they're counting on a lot of property private property owners like homeowners to say yeah let's just let's vote for that because then that'll protect our homes but actually it won't once they get the the business property taxes changed then they're going to come right back and go for the uh the private private property your home taxes so uh what pat miller with the sutter county taxpayers association is saying so wherever you Uh, Whether you're in Butte County, Calusa County, Sacramento County, Nevada County, wherever you're listening from, any of the counties in California, this is going to affect all of us the same. There's 58 counties in California. So uh, thank God for Sutter County Taxpayers Association and Miller and other ones that have been so uh, devoted to exposing these things that go on every day in our state capital, but few of us have time to keep up with all of them. So what Pat Miller is saying is, please take the time to contact your assemblyman and say, listen, please do not support ACA1, ACA1. It's called the, uh, let me see if I can find the name of it again, Assembly Constitutional Amendment 1, Assembly Constitutional Amendment 1 or ACA1. So please do that. Uh, don't say, oh, I think somebody else will do it. Write a note. If you want to write a postcard, write a note if you don't want to call. But but call up. Uh, you can you can look on Google. You can probably uh, call your local government and find out the, uh, the address if you don't have a computer. If you're an older person, doesn't have a computer, you could probably call the city of Yuba City or Marysville or the county and find out uh, the address and phone number or whatever of James Gallagher 
and he's the assemblyman for our two counties. But uh, your Butte County, I know uh, you have different uh, representatives, so just get it on, and let's do what we can. I know uh, you, some of you are saying, as I'm saying this, hey, there's not enough conservatives down there. They're just going to vote this through. We've got to do something. Uh, we know what we're going to get if we don't do anything. So I just want to encourage you to jump on that and, and make a difference. Uh, okay. So, uh, I saw this on the internet and I'm always suspect when I see stuff on the internet, because I, I think sometimes people just put up stuff and they don't really, or, or they repeat stuff that they don't really check and, and see if it's truly accurate. W- one thing I know is truly accurate. Like this guy says, need more proof. We are getting robbed blind in the state of California. I just received my annual registration renewal on my 2016 Escalade. The charge is $731. So he said, I was curious what I'd be charged if I lived in another state. Now, we've checked this. Uh, some of the folks that went over to Idaho and other people have moved to other states like Texas have got back to me and said, oh, man, Lou, the, the, the fees over here are like a small percentage of what they are in California. So, uh, so this guy says $731 in California. He set up in Oregon. Uh, that he would only had to pay $63 in Arkansas, 30 Delaware, 40 Georgia, 20. Now someone else wrote in underneath and it, because he mentions Nevada, $33. And this guy said, Oh no, no, Nevada is a lot higher. Listen, I've checked myself on a few of these States and it, it's, if it's $731 in California, I'm, I'm saying it's, it's like 90% less in some of these other States. I've checked them myself. So it's it's highway robbery what's going on and it's it's interesting you know we have one of the worst department of motor vehicles in the United States and um uh, and also still the roads are not getting fixed properly. So this guy wrote about I don't know, he didn't list all the states but he list, listed Texas and he said I could register my my $731 fee in Texas for $50 $51 $43 in Utah. Virginia, $45. The point is, why does it have to be so high? And the reason is, is because we have some legislatures, legislators that just want it that high, right? They just say, we're going to take more money. And uh, Governor Brown actually made it uh, plain. He just said, you're, you're freeloaders. He called uh, California tax payers freeloaders loaders and cheapskates at one time. So, uh, I saw this also. I'd like to just drop in here. It says income tax. It's This guy says it's the fine you pay for being productive. And welfare is a reward you get for being unproductive. thought that was interesting. Uh, you've probably seen these comparisons. I think some of them, I'm skeptical of some of them between Obama and, and uh, President Trump. But uh, it depends on when you pick the comparisons. Like this list, job, job approval. That, that goes up all the up and down all the time. Did on both of them. Unemployment rate, jobs added, first year deficit, gross domestic domestic product growth, or what they call the GDP. That's how much actual goods and services that the economy that the people are you. You know, if you're out there working, producing something, it's how, how much you're producing. But what it, it generally shows is under Donald Trump, uh, things are better, like job approvals better, unemployment rate is l- lower, jobs added is almost 
twice as high. Uh, first year deficit, not as bad. And gross domestic product, way, way higher. The point I, when, I, when I read these things, what I'm left thinking is it really doesn't make any difference to the never Trumpers whether uh, Trump was Jesus Christ in the flesh. They wouldn't want him. Uh, they just don't want him. And it doesn't matter how many people are working. The fact that blacks have never worked. So there's never been a time in the history of the United States that more blacks and more Hispanics are working. That the percentage of unemployment. Remember, no one could figure out how to uh, help black people go to work, right? We had to go pay to train them and pay to do this and pay to do that. Under Trump, businesses are just expanding. And so... Th- it's amazing. I just think it's a great thing. I think it's a great thing. My friends who need a job, I'm always happy when I'm able to help find them a job. People are happy when they get to go to work. They're able to pay for their own Levi's, pay, buy their own car, buy their kids a new ball, get their kids involved in a sports program, you know, whatever, dance lessons, music lessons. They're able to pay for what they want, not ask the government for it. So uh, this is another thing I'll just throw in here. A few years ago, we had a, you know how the, I, I think these food trucks are cool. And in, in some countries, they have a lot of food vendors. Like when I go to Vietnam, there's, they don't have so much food trucks, but they have food vendors on these carts. <clears throat> you can get great food, very, very inexpensive and fast. You can just walk right up and boom. You don't have to go sit down, wait for a waitress or server. So you get really good service. And uh, whether it's coffee or you want to get uh, just some special little sandwich or whatever, stir-fried, whatever. So out here, there was a food truck out at Plumas Lake, and it was selling tacos. It was a little taco truck. Probably, they probably sold a few other uh, Mexican entrees. But they busted him for selling methamphetamines, and so we nicknamed that food truck as uh, Methican Food. And so I saw this the other day where it said it's no longer politically correct to call tweakers tweakers. And they said they're now Methican Americans. So I thought, oh, man, they stole the name. I gave that food truck out there. So something to think about. Uh, I wanted to mention this also. We've been talking about this. Uh, people are freaking out in the, you know, uh, the you guys, I'm sorry we're leaving you out on some of these uh state discussions you guys over there in missouri uh all the dan bill followers out there and others out there the fritz followers over there in idaho and a few over nevada and uh but california's just got action i mean every day there's something more bizarre happening right and so somebody mentioned on uh facebook they were talking uh a local person here that's moving to washington she said we're moving but i feel bad for all of you guys that are having to stay and it was about the uh sex ed requirements in california schools and it used to be you know if if you were a parent it used to be parents values came from parents right you went to school to learn arithmetic uh geography california history world history Uh, how to write right how to spell how to write how to how you know communicate right and uh and the value systems came from the home whether people went to church or not or they whatever their system was they got it from mom and dad right and then more and more the pretty soon this the government began to tell the schools that we're going to deliver an agenda to you of what we believe as politicians 
is the way people ought to think, the right way to think. Now we kind of refer to that right way to think where the government states the right way to think, the government think. We call that being politically correct, right? And for many of us, the politically correct way is exactly the opposite of what we want to do, right? And so in, in schools now, uh, for, for a long time, a school nurse could take your child and if she went to the school nurse and this nurse realized maybe the daughter, the woman, the young girl's pregnant, the school nurse actually had the ability to take the girl off campus and go have an abortion. Did you know that? That's amazing, isn't it? And so that that was happening. And then they started saying, listen, we don't like the pregnancy rates, uh, the pregnancy rate out of wedlock or the teen pregnancy rate. So now we're going to talk to kids in school about sex and about uh, values. And the teacher is going to teach values about sexual behavior or premarital sex or how to have sex or uh, how to use a condom, how to install a condom, et cetera, et cetera. And so that started. And then it started like, well, wait a minute. Maybe the latest thing has been maybe there's more than one sexual way. In other words, there isn't just male and female, heterosexual, but maybe there's some people that God just missed it somehow, or maybe you feel you came from a monkey, but somehow you look like a guy, but inside you're full-blown gal, but you've got all the equipment for a guy, and then just the opposite. You like you got the look of a female, you got all the plumbing for a female, but inside you claim you're full-blown guy so now they begin to teach as i mentioned i think it was last week or the week before that there are these that gender is fluid in other words it can change like i felt like last year i felt like a guy this year i'm feeling like a gal and and maybe this that and the other thing so i listed all the different names so it you know a lot of that stuff doesn't it doesn't mean this or that to me right there's all kinds of wild people in the United States and it's a free country and you're free to believe a lot of different things as long as you don't harm your, your neighbor, right? You can believe all kinds of wild things about the universe, about where you came from, about how you want to live with your partner, about how you want to raise your kids as long as you don't abuse them, right? There's some limits, right? So now the, the state of California has put together a sex curriculum, and they're going to vote on that, and I think, I think it's May 8th and 9th. And where it's going to vote, it's, it's not going to be, we're going to teach this curriculum, and you guys that don't want to be a part of that can just keep your kids at home, or we can go to sit in another class. But we're going to teach this curriculum, and your kids literally have to go through it. And that curriculum is to say that you're, even though your child, you dressed them like a male and you sent them to, send them to school like a male, uh, they're going to tell them he may be a female and they might want to think that over. And if you wanted to come to class and address, that would be cool or something, something, right? Any, any number of things. And there's, there, it isn't just male, female or just uh, switching now. It's, there's a, a whole list of different options. And what they're going to teach is that kids, uh, they're going to teach kids all the way down to kindergarten that that they may not be what they thought, right? So uh, now in California, like a lot of states, they have public school systems, and if and you are mandated by state law to send your kids to that public school. 
unless over the last 20 years there's been a homeschool movement that's been pretty strong and if you if you uh now the school system has kind of okayed that homeschool movement you can teach your kids and keep keep your kids totally out of the school but if your kids are attending public school uh they aren't from what i understand they're not going to be able to opt out of uh, of this situation so on i noticed this come through there's a group that is resisting uh this move it's called informed parents of california and uh they are calling for a sex ed sit out s-e-x-x-x ed sit out and they want to do that on may 17th 2019 so it's a couple weeks away two or three weeks away all right and so that means that and you can uh, go check this out um they got a lot of hashtags at hashtag inform parents of Cal of CA United hashtag stand with parents hashtag sex with three X's sex ed sit out. Uh, you can check in on that. I'm sure they have a website, but I don't I don't see it listed right here in front of me. So the point is, is they want to encourage people to. Uh, to sit out that day, take your kid and go do something. You can go do something educational out here in California, man. There's a lot of educational stuff. Go a lot of hist history stuff. You can go right around Yuba Sutter counties, but they're also saying email your, your, uh, sit out location. In other words, email your school district office or your county district office or your school and, um, uh, and let them know that you're sitting out and you're not, you don't approve of these new changes. Now, in addition to that, there's a couple great websites that you should start tuning into. Uh, one is SaveCalifornia.com. SaveCalifornia.com. All one word, SaveCalifornia.com. Randy Thomason, who has been a lobbyist for family, family causes, Christian-based family causes, uh, all kinds of things. He has a great website. He's had it for years. It's very easy off his website to connect it with your legislature, legislator, and also to find out all the details about a variety of issues that are before the, uh, that are going through the legislative process in the state of California. So on, if I, I went on there the other day, I think it was yesterday, savecalifornia.com. Right on the front page, it says 20 reasons to pull your kids from public school. It lists them right there. Now, he created a secondary website, and that website is rescueyourchild.com. Rescueyourchild, all one word, dot com. And he gives you all kinds of options that maybe you've never thought about, about how you can educate your child yourself whether you do it and and he has a lot of links there to online schools that are k-12 through schools and they'll provide you curriculum and provide you helps all those kind of things or even uh, alternative schools that you can go to church-based schools charter schools that are different than what you're you're going to face here in the uh, the public school system so put that down there's also uh, i'll give you this website it's ipoca ipoca watch at gmail.com 
ipocawatch at gmail.com. And they're going to link you with other people. If you have children in a system or you, or you have maybe you're a grandparent and you have grandchildren and you want to get involved, you want a good cause to get involved in, this is huge. And uh, I think I mentioned here a week or so ago that the total enrollment in the state of California of, of uh, K-12 children was down about 35, 36,000 kids. Well, when, you know, the state of California gets... Uh, money per student per day from the feds uh, that comes into this state uh, when kids are in, in school. Now, that's a lot of money. I, I don't know how much per day that is, uh, but that's a lot of kids, 36,000 kids. And that could increase. Um, that would really, I don't have any children in the, in the system here now, but I have uh, grandchildren that I don't have really any influence over. They got parents of their own, but they're going to have to make that call on their own about how, how dangerous they think this situation is. I think it's plenty dangerous. And so, but it, it's freaky when you don't, when you feel like you're all alone, uh, you don't have any support and you don't know what else to do or how to do it. And the fear of the unknown gets a hold of you. And so savecalifornia.com and rescueyourchild.com could be a great help. Uh, all right. So I, I took, I have a photo here. It came off the internet. This is in Childress, Texas. Childress, Texas. And it's a picture of a gas station with the gas price up there, right on the, the uh, fascia of the gas, above the gas pumps. $2.43. I'm telling you, around the Marisol Yuba City area, Yuba Sutter County, I think we're up right at, I don't know. We're pushing $4, I think. And that's a lot of difference. So this guy wrote in, he says, also no state income tax and some of the absolute best highways in the whole country. Have you ever traveled uh, outside the state of California and you get on some of these highways, you think, wow, this is like nice. I, I used to drive to Mexico on I-5 and also on 99, we used to do a project. We were working on an orphanage in Otay Mesa side of uh, uh, Tijuana. That's on the eastern side uh, out there where the universities are. And it was a residential area. We were adding about, I don't know, two to 4,000 square feet on this two-story orphanage for teens. And uh, so we used to drive I-5. And I used to think, man, this I-5 is such a smooth road, nice road. Now they claim you, you blow tires out going on those pothole, potholes. And I heard that there's a section of I-5, uh, uh, not I-5, but uh, Highway 99 that is horrible. I don't know whether it's down by Fresno or just some of the worst highway in the state of California. So those are like the big highways to get up and down the state. And uh, this guy up here in Childress, Texas, he's, he said, man, I got it going on good. No state income tax. Some of the best highways in the whole country. Do you know that uh, in California, it costs like almost twice as much for us to lay a mile of highway as it does anywhere else? Why do you think that is? Well, the reason is, is we have union, big union control and excessive regulations. It just makes everything more expensive, whether you're going to build a high school. You know, a high school, because of the Davis-Bacon Act, um, the, it it created a situation you think, oh, yeah, we need a new high school. Let's pass a bond. Probably up to a third of that money will be wasted because you're paying higher 
payroll than you need to because of the Davis-Bacon Act where you have to pay the prevailing wage. If it was a right-to-work state where the best bidder gets it, uh, you'd have the same quality high school and you would have uh, a lot cheaper way to do it, almost 20 to 30% cheaper. That's because of the Davis-Bacon Act. So uh, we're going to be right back. We're going to take a little break here and we'll... We'll catch you in a few minutes. Though you may not drive a great big Cadillac, against the white wall, TV antennas in the back. You may not have. I am proud to be representing Times Up. Time's up to sexual harassment, bullying, abuse. We have a disease of an abuse of power. That it's not just our industry, that it's across industry and that many of us are experiencing harassment, abuse, discrimination. I think us moving towards a world where we can end or at least very much interrupt sexual violence. Harvey Weinstein, everyone talks about the Harvey, but it's like, yeah, but who are the enablers? It's not the people who don't know that worry me, it's the people who do know and do nothing. I'm Scarlett Johansson, and I support Planned Parenthood. Arizona 2014. A Planned Parenthood counselor intentionally miscoded a sexual assault as a consensual encounter to avoid the hassle of reporting it to authorities months before other victims of the same sexual predator came forward. Planned Parenthood provides so many more services than just abortions. Live Action has released undercover videos showing Planned Parenthood staffers all too eager to help purported teenage sex workers get abortions and contraception. I stand with Planned Parenthood because I want my girls to have access to birth control behind my back one day. We're involved in sex work, all right? Some of them are young, they're kind of like, like 15, 14. Minors are always accepted without parental consent. Okay. I work in sex work, okay, um, and there's some girls that I manage, and some of them about 40, 50, really kind of young. From the age of 12 yeah. up, for birth control, you can just come in and do that. Just come in and do it. You don't have to have a parent, okay? I mean, you can get birth control testing, like any, anything without a parent. The only thing that requires over 18 if they're a minor is an abortion okay. but there's also ways that like judicial bypasses we can get around that if you guys ever need it what does it look like when you activate the power of the women's march and planned parenthood in the fight for low-wage workers planned parenthood actually allows victims of human trafficking to continue to be victims of human trafficking and they're okay with that i went back to my office and I told my supervisor, like, listen, I'm trying to teach them about key concepts on Title X. You know, they're admitting that they're not going to report cases of statutory rape. The response from my supervisor was, your job is to teach them the key concepts, and that's it. And she was really upset with me that I challenged that. I stand with Planned Parenthood because they stand with me. There'd be girls coming in with their abusers, and even if they knew even if I went to the manager and I said, look, there's something going on here, she would say she's better off with the abortion. We can't do anything about what's going on at home, but at least we can give her the abortion. Oh my God, the money! 
It has to go to Planned Parenthood. Washington State, 2017. George Savannah repeatedly raped his daughter and impregnated her when she was 14, 16, and 17 years old. Each time she became pregnant, he took her to Planned Parenthood and forced her to get an abortion to cover up his crimes. One reason Savannah was able to get away with his sexual abuse is because Planned Parenthood repeatedly failed to report the suspicious incidents to authorities. After her abortions at Planned Parenthood, Savannah continued to rape her several times a week for seven horrific years. All right, here we go again. Uh, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the immigration situation, and then I'm going to play you a clip. Uh, and it's a clip about uh, interviewing Obama's uh, head of immigration, head of the Border Patrol. And it's pretty fascinating. He's talking about how we have a desperate situation on the border. And more and more of the people, even Jay Johnson, who I think was head of Homeland Security for President Obama, also uh, agrees. It's interesting who's agreeing with Trump on some of these situations, maybe not even some of the Republicans, but some of the Democrats that were responsible for the security of the country, head of Homeland Security and head of Border Patrol, both under Obama, are speaking out in support of the terrible situation on the border. They may not, it, it has nothing to do really with supporting Trump or not. It's just like, hey, this is America and, and what's going on. Now, I, some days I'm just bewildered, and then I have to realize that I just don't think the same as a lot of the liberals in this country. And uh, I would never, if if I knew that uh, all immigrants would vote conservative, I still would not uh, advocate for them to come in illegally or to give them uh, citizenship if they figured out how to get here any old way or just made it easier for them to get here. I, I wouldn't do that because I don't think that's going to be healthy for the country. But I don't think like a liberal, and I do think that what's happening politically, when you look at any statements made by uh, key people in our country that are on the li liberal side, like Senator Schumer or uh, Congresswoman Pelosi or uh, former President Clinton, and former President Obama, they all, uh, and also almost President Clinton, uh, Hillary Clinton, they all were anti-open immigration. They all were that way until uh, they weren't. And they decided they are going to all take this ploy to undermine the conservative bent of the majority of the country. Now, there's if you look at the certain... Uh, concentrations of people in this country, like in the eastern seaboard around New York and the western seaboard, uh, L.A., San Diego, etc., and up at Seattle. You have these strong uh, strongholds, if you use that term, of liberal voters. And But the, when you add up the majority of the country, uh, they have a, a conservative bent. In order to change that, you can, if you promise people when they get here that you'll give them benefits, free education, free health, subsidized housing, uh, 
jobs, et cetera, et cetera, unemployment. And you tell them that Democrats or liberals, the ones that provided that for you, not just the U.S. government, all the taxpayers, they're going to vote in, in that fashion. And that's what that's what's been happening. Now, the interesting thing is if you you say, well, you know, uh, people say, aren't we all immigrants? And at one time we were all immigrants. And now you're just against these people. No, it's actually very different. Uh, when my uh, I think my uh, forefathers came over from Germany on my dad's side in the 1800s, and they actually made it over to Yuba County in, uh, during the gold rush, about 1850, probably right at the tail end of the, the heyday of the gold rush. And, uh, but when they came, all the way up until the early 1900s, basically if you could make it to the shore of America and make it and go through Ellis Island uh, and pass the quarantine rules and stuff like that, they would let you in. But there were zero benefits. In other words, the government did not pay any, any money to anybody for anything. You had to get your own job, so it, it was incumbent upon you to have maybe you, maybe you knew somebody where they'd put you up, maybe a relative or a friend, and, and say you, you had a skill. Maybe you were a house painter or you were a, a bricklayer or you had some skill, a cook, whatever. And you would immediately go out to find you, get on somewhere and go work, load ships, unload ships, do something, something, right? Get, get work. But there was no benefits that were going to be, and there was no money here to be given to you if you just showed up at the shore, so to speak, and you couldn't be here illegally. So, uh, from, if you talk to historians, they, they will say a lot of people were very successful, but some decided they had it better back home, so they went back to Germany, or they went back to Italy, or they went back to England, and they resettled back there. Instead of going through, maybe things just were too tough for them here, or they, they had some downturns, and, and it, it didn't work out what, the way they thought. So they gave up, and it went back. But other people stayed and made it, made it very well. But over the period of time, we began voting benefits for people that aren't even citizens here. And so it's, it, it attracted people. It's like winning the lottery. It's like it, you might think, how stupid of it. The chances of winning the lottery, you're better, you have better odds of getting hit by light, lightning or being eaten by a shark in the Pacific Ocean than winning the lottery. But in terms of winning the national lottery, if you can make it across that border, whether they, somebody shoots you across out of a cannon or you swim across, you go through a tunnel, or you hide in somebody's trunk, or you hike in the middle of the night, all you have to do is get in the United States, and you've got it, you're going to win the lottery, right? And so over here in Yuba County Jail, there is a, uh, they house about 400 in inmates in the Yuba County Jail. Uh, but only about a two-thirds of those folks are local inmates, where they committed a crime locally. The rest of them are being housed, uh, and they have they they're not being housed for a crime there. They're being housed because they committed a crime and they served time elsewhere, and now they're being housed at Yuba County because they're fighting their deportation, uh, their deportation request by immigration. They they say, hey, you you when you're here, either you're here illegally or you here you were here on a work permit, but now you violated that rule. And you need to leave. 
So uh, now they're fighting that, and they and so they uh, they get similar rights. It's amazing. They get the rights that you and I would get as citizens born here. They get rights, and they actually have attorneys that are being paid for them uh, by the taxpayers of the state of California. So some of them have been living in the Yuba County Jail for more than two years, and we've been paying probably about $100 a day to have them there so they can fight against the immigration system because they've committed a crime. Uh, in most cases, they've committed a crime that you'd go to prison for, or you'd go to jail for. And so after they serve their prison time, now they're tr- the immigration's trying to deport them. So they're fighting that. And so they're, what I tell them is I said, you're trying to win the immigration lottery. In other words, if you can wait here long enough, in other words, I've always said, would you steal money? Would you, uh, embezzle money from your employer say say a half million dollars would you do that if you knew you had to spend a couple years in jail how much how much would the trade-off be if you had to spend and you knew at the end of it you'd get to keep the half million would you spend a couple years in jail three years four years five years if you knew when you dug up your cash box you were going to get a half million dollars at the end well that's exactly what's happened happening with illegal aliens they're staying here as long as they can to try to fight their case to get a judge that will lean their way and but once they win their case they get ebt cards they get earned income credits they get uh free education they get first year of college free now uh they get medicare all the the free medications right it's just free 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 food stamps right food lunch programs all that stuff free so the, the question is, you have to ask yourself, like when I fly to Vietnam, I have to get a visa. When I fly to China, I have to get a visa. When I go to Laos, I have to get a visa. Thailand, have to get a visa. Cambodia, have to get a visa. They can reject me at any point. If I show up over there and I do not have a visa or they see something in my passport they don't like, they can reject my visa. I need to get on the plane and come back. That's just the way it is. And if you show up over there, and you're running around town and you do not have a visa, they will lock you up. You understand that? So that's the way it works. Now, there's no, in China, none of the countries that I just mentioned, do they provide you any kind of welfare or benefits for showing up. In fact, they don't even allow you to work over there uh, unless you apply for a very specific visa. So the whole concept of just allowing anybody to come in the United States uh and if they can just get here by hook or crook, they fly in the wheel well of a jetliner. They end up in a hold of a ship. They, they come across in the 52-foot trailer of a bunch of vegetables. However they get here, uh, what, what people are saying on the liberal side is we'll pick up the tab for them, our United States government. And so basically Gavin Newsom, the new governor of California, I believe, is saying that we will not only provide education, <clears throat> we will not only provide all that what I've mentioned before, uh, but we'll, we'll actually provide their health care for them. We'll provide health insurance for them. Now, we've kind of been doing that anyway, because if they show up at any ER since 1987, if anybody shows up at any ER, no one can receive, refuse anyone service. Did you know that? <clears throat> that's whether you're a citizen or not a citizen. So 
We're going to take a break right now, and we're going to uh, we're going to take a listen to this clip by this Border Patrol fellow, and then we'll be right back. Anyone who says that the wall is ineffective is absolutely misinformed, and they're misleading the American people. Is a wall will it ever be a hundred percent effective? No. But again, if you go to the experts and you go to San Diego, you go to Nogales and you go to El Paso, um, everywhere where a wall was built in conjunction with that multilayer approach of infrastructure, technology and personnel, it works. It, it, illegal immigration where the wall was reduced by 90%, overall crime in those areas dramatically reduced. So anyone who says that the wall is ineffective is absolutely misinformed and they're misleading the American people. Should, can, can, can it be defeated? Yes. But again, everywhere that it's been erected, it's been 90% effective or more. So what the wall does, along with technology, whether that's mobile fixed or aerial surveillance, plus the right amount of Border Patrol agent there, that, that multi-layered strategy, that multi-dimensional strategy, that's what's key. So, so if somebody grabs a 100-foot ladder and starts approaching the wall, well, we've got technology that allows Border Patrol agents to see the ladder coming, and then Border Patrol agents, they actually go there and interdict and stop them before they can ever climb the wall. It's just common sense. When people say that walls are immoral, what I'll say is they're ignoring the facts and the truth. And I, I believe that they're holding on to their individual political ideology or their hatred for the Trump to be able to say that. Again, let me ask you this. If you say a wall is immoral, what about the cartels that are smuggling women and young children through in between the points of entry and exploiting them sexually and, and, and a whole bunch of other ways? And how is it immoral to build a structure as part of a process to stop that from happening? How is it immoral to stop some really bad people that are coming into the United States? How is it immoral to stop the drugs coming in from in between the point of entry you know, that, that's leading to already a crisis we have, a drug crisis that's killing thousands and thousands of people every year? How is that immoral to want to stop that? I, I don't understand that. I think in many ways it's drastically 180 degrees different uh, than the morale between under the Obama administration and the Trump administration. What the Border Patrol agents feel right now, I think for the first time in a long time, is that there, there is an administration that understands the importance of what they're doing, understand what needs to be done so they can do their job, and understands how the catch and release program is devastating. And, and really not allowing the Border Patrol agents to do their job to protect this country. All right. Well, I, I hope that was meaningful to you uh, listening to the Border Patrol, the past Border Patrol chief. And uh, so what's happening in Washington, D.C.? People are back there not facing what's going on on the border uh, of Mexico because we're, we're not having the same difficulties on the border of Canada. We're having some, but not, not nearly what we're, we're facing down there. In fact, I just got a call this week from a, a lady in the Bay Area, and uh, she helps immigrants, and she wanted me to find a place to live for a Nicaraguan, and a 48-year-old Nicaraguan. I said, well, what, did he commit a crime? And um, she said, oh, no, he, his only crime was he came in the country illegally. 
and I and he's now fighting his case, just like what I've been spending a few minutes describing to you. And I said, well, uh, so after I hung up the phone from her, I, I was talking to my friend today about it, uh, about whether we should help this guy or not take him in because he can't get out of jail unless if they can't bond him like they get a bond for him, but he has to have a place to live. Somebody pick up the tab because he has no work permit, right? So I said, well, what if the guy's a molester, right? What if the guy is an alcoholic? What if he's a heroin addict? You know, you know, they want him to me to move them in out at the church I attend at. And, you know, there's just a lot of questions. You get somebody flying in here from another country and they uh, you don't know anything about them. You know, it, once upon a time, uh, you had, you know, an immigration. The people I know that came in this country through immigration and went through properly there was a lot of vetting that went on. There was a lot of questions. They had to fill out a lot of paperwork. There were tests. It was a it was months of processing, uh, and it, it was no small deal. In fact, I had a gal. I, I was eating at a uh, a restaurant in Hoi An. In fact, if you ever get to Vietnam, you need to go to Hoi An. It's a beautiful ocean city. Uh, beaches, beautiful beaches, and just really lovely people. So I was eating at this little restaurant. It was really good food. So this gal come, comes out. I'd never met her before. Uh, she said, hey, um, would you, uh, how'd you like the food? And I said, oh, it was great. I, I said, it's great food. I've never been here before. She said, oh, you like the food? She said, I cooked that. I said, oh, are you, are you the owner? She said, yeah, I own the restaurant. And her next question, is, she said, I have a question, personal question for you. I said, yeah, what is it? She said, will you marry me? And I said, I said, what? I said, you're crazy. And, and she said, I want to go to America. She said, you're from America, aren't you? And I said, yeah. She said, I want to go to America. She said, in Vietnam, we work very, very hard, but you make very little money. And she said, and I told her, I said, you know, uh, first of all, I don't want to do that because I don't want to be a liar. And, uh, because I know you don't want to marry me for me. You want to marry me because you want to, you want to win the lottery. The, the nation lottery and i said when when we get to america on a marriage deal they ask you a lot of personal questions about the other person that catches people up and then then you end up both in trouble i said we're both going to end up locked up but that's what happens in a, a proper vetting situation where people come in the country we don't want to welcome right we got enough problems of our own right it's like we deal with sinful human beings in, in any country. So we have enough problems on our own. You don't want to welcome trouble, right? You don't want to bring in the mafia. You don't want to welcome murderers or gang members or molesters, right? Rapists. You want to keep those people out. Uh, you don't want to bring in people that are sick with, with uh, diseases, communicable diseases. Like the other day, we, we were on a trauma intervention call. We got these volunteers that go out on these 911 calls, and we were out on a call, and so we got a call from the hospital that said, hey, uh, your two volunteers were exposed to tuberculosis on this call. I thought, oh, this is, that's a new one. We've been do doing calls for 25 years and never had that happen. But it was a Asian, right? It was a person from outside the country, but he had tuberculosis and active tuberculosis, and so uh, it exposed. You know, we don't really have a big problem with tuberculosis in America. We've kind of got rid of it. So uh, anyway, something to think about. Now, uh, this is a, a something that I, I learned about. I learned a lot of cool stuff going into the Yuba County Jail teaching prisoners. 
So I'm kind of the MC or the masters of ceremony, master of ceremony, and I bring in speakers from all, all kinds of different occupations. So one of them is a nurse from Yuba County Health Department, and she's the only speaker. I got all kinds of speakers from all over the place. She's the only speaker that got an applause from the men one day. And she and, and the topic was sexually transmitted diseases, or now they like to call them infections. So it's such an interesting talk because we're talking to older gentlemen, right? There's, there's a few young guys, but they're all adults. And they are clueless about that you can have a sexually transmitted infection and not have any symptoms. And the, and the thing ended up killing you, right? Hold that thought. And we're not just talking about uh, HIV, ended up HIV positive, but we're talking about syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, all kinds of stuff. And so she begins to discuss those things and then how to how to go check and see if you're clean, see if your partner's clean, how to stay clean, how to not be infected ever again. Right. And it's just people have a lot of the guys have ne- and gals have never thought that through. So I thought this was interesting because I've been hearing my my favorite health nurse come in and teach for me. And, and she would tell this story how in the United States around the year 2000, that the the number of new syphilis cases, and, and throughout history you can read about people that died of syphilis, right? It affects the brain eventually, and they would put people in these mental health places like sanitariums or whatever they call them, or insanitarium, something. And anyway, the problem is that syphilis got in the brain, and it destroyed the brain, and, and they, they went nuts, as I say. So syphilis, she said, they were so, the, the number of syphilis cases in the United States had gotten so small, and this, this article actually says it was in the 30-some thousand range for the entire country. And they said, we think we can, we think we can eradicate this. Well, now it's gone, it's gone bonkers. And, um, and so I thought it was fascinating. And she, this, I guess in, um, I was talking earlier, I think this, this is located, uh, this article is in Joplin, talking about a, a clinic in Joplin, Missouri. And it says, when Carolyn Schrage first heard about the Domino's gang in the health clinic she runs in Joplin, Missouri, she assumed it had to do with a pizza operation. Turns out it was a group of men in their 60s and 70s who held a standing game night, which included sex with one another kind of odd isn't it kind of bizarre and uh, so they all showed up at her clinic infected with syphilis and I think you know it, it's interesting when you realize that these different uh, sexually transmitted diseases hold a thought the dynamic there is sexually transmitted that if people weren't having sex with multiple partners uh, and they started out clean they would never, this stuff would all die out, right? Syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, right? They'd die out. But because of promiscuity and uh, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, homosexuality, which uh, it's interesting. I'm learning a lot from these health nurses because I, I did take bi- a biological science when I was studying in college, which I found amazingly interesting. Uh, but she talked about the anal area. When you have sex in the anal area, it is much more sense. It's much more porous to transfer to transfer disease. Did you know that? I thought, oh, I didn't know that. 
I need to pay attention to that. So, so these guys that were having sex uh, in their fashion, men having sex with men, uh, they all got syphilis. Just passed it right on around one to another. So in Missouri, in, in, in rural areas of Missouri, they're having this incredible flare-up of syphilis. And they said normally it's concentrated in cities like San Francisco, Atlanta, Las Vegas. But now they're showing up in rural areas, right? And they're saying some of the reasons they think that it's flaring up and keep going is they don't, they don't offer as many health resources. Like, for instance, the health nurse, if, you have, if you're wondering if you might have syphilis out there, and if you've, if you've got a little sore that was not a painful little sore, or if you got a little rash on your hands, guys, uh, maybe you ought to go to the doctor and be tested for syphilis because it just takes a big shot of penicillin and it'll knock it out. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Still penicillin after all these years. Gonorrhea, chlamydia, it takes different stuff. But it talks about how the number of syphilis patients is just like going nutso. So again, it said uh, they almost thought they, they, could, they could finish this disease off when it was just a little over 35,000 nationwide. Now we have 101,500 cases in 2017, right? We over tripled it uh, in 17 years. And syphilis is back in part, they say, because of increased drug use. <clears throat> It's interesting. You know, we think, oh, we'll just give out clean needles. It's hard to figure this drug problem out. Give out clean needles. Uh, you just uh, help addicts, right? I think we should do what we should got to help addicts, help addicts get off opiates onto Suboxone, do a lot of things. But they say we have an increased drug use. And so we pass syphilis and other diseases on uh, that way, or they get people get loaded uh, like hepatitis B, hepatitis C, we can pass on through needles. Then they get loaded and have sex improperly and pass on these incredible destructive diseases that in, in the case of a female can make you unable to have children any longer. Uh, it just causes all kinds of problems. So uh, the, it says among the rising numbers of women contracting syphilis and the men who were their partners uh, they all use methamphetamines, heroin, or intravenous drug drugs uh, in that population. So that population wouldn't necessarily be through needles, but through uh, bizarre behavior, right? When you're loaded, you don't use your common sense. So it's something to think about. Uh, so now they're trying to deploy higher and higher amounts of money, greater and greater amounts of money to take care of of uh, people that don't want to behave themselves. Do you know that, isn't it interesting that we, we, uh, we could eliminate AIDS, right? Home, uh, HIV. Now they claim, in, like the health nurse said the other day over at Yuba County Jail, that they think in San Francisco they're going to come up, I don't know why just San Francisco, they're going to come up with something that's going to stop HIV before long. So we spent a lot of money to do that, but we could have stopped it just by stop having that type of sex, right? And that would have solved that. And, and those that had AIDS would have probably died eventually with AIDS. Uh, AIDS is just a full-blown disease that the, uh, sin, the, the virus becomes a full-blown disease at some point. 
But we could have eliminated that through change of behavior. But in, in America, it seems like we don't want to change our behavior. We just want to come up with better and uh, more powerful drugs, right? So that's that. Uh, lately, I've uh, I've been following, as I mentioned last week, I've been following the... Uh, oh, you know something? We just got a few minutes left for a break. I'm going to mention something else here before I go to this new topic. I wanted to uh, mention... Uh, elite universal security who uh, if you notice your stuff disappearing around your house or your business like happens at my house I always tell people that move into my neighborhood don't leave anything in the front yard you want to keep move stuff off the porch that you want to keep and uh, stuff just disappears some people just come up knock on your front door they're just up to no good so if you want if you need some support some security and you need some wisdom on how to keep your property, your property, uh, give Universal Security, Elite Universal, a call at 530-749-0280, 530-749-0280. They're located all the way up and down the North Central Valley, all the way up from Shasta County, Butte County, Sutter County, Yuba County. They base out of Yuba County, and you can go to, if you want to get in the business, you want to drive around in the car, guard some property, Learn how to uh, watch for ne'er-do-wells and catch people doing funky stuff. Uh, you can hook up with Elite Universal Security by calling them, or you can go to their website at api-academy.com. API, like P like in Penelope. API-academy.com. And they got all kinds of schooling there. In fact, you can get your concealed weapons permit. Both counties, you've been, Sutter County, been talking about concealed weapon permits uh, lately on the facebook sites how to get them with their new county sheriffs and uh so you can go out and take your tests and and do your practice and and get your past your ccw license and then you could get your renewal you can get all that stuff and uh, they're having the next dates coming up are may 11th and 12th that's a weekend, May 11th and 12th. And then if you want to go a little farther, you can go out May 25th and 26th. And those are all get your license dates or renewal dates, range dates, all those kind of things. So you can just dial them up. And also on May May 4, they're going to try to do a taser class and pepper spray class. So you think, I'm feeling a little insecure. I'm going to get my wife some of that pepper spray or taser, get her a taser. You can take the class and learn how to use those devices on may 4 so uh, also if you want to go to work they'll put you to work that there's ads on their websites all the time eliteuniversalsecurity.com and uh, monty hecker they do a great job they do a lot of the uh, security for the government in the area and business if you got if you keep losing stuff out in your business these guys will come and brainstorm with you to how to keep your stuff your stuff and, uh, man, every week it seems like somebody's stealing stuff off a farm or, you know, driving off with a tractor or stealing property, stealing the produce, stealing nuts. Crazy. It's like people people don't have any scruples anymore. What happened to that? So, uh, anyway, check with Universal Security. They'll help you. Also, Dave Greenitz Construction. Greenitz, G-R-E-E-N-E-T-Z, Construction. GreenitzConstruction.com. I'm telling you, if you're in the Central Valley, you want the best-looking bathroom and and kitchen, in you know, remodel. You want to redo your front 
entry to your house, you want to extend your living circumstances, maybe your house feeling a little tight, but you just think, I want to throw on a thousand feet of deck. And uh, that'll push some of the kids outdoors and put a little deck with an overhang on it. And uh, green its construction. I'm telling you, these guys know how to do their work. You know, they, they're not so independent that they don't show up when they're supposed to. They show up on time. They clean up after themselves. They actually do it for the price that they quoted you. And you should go on their website. It'll blow your mind. Greenestconstruction.com. They have these before and after shots that will just shock you how beautiful uh, some of these places are. You think, oh, I can't afford that. Well, you can email them, and you can give them a shout-out and just give them an idea of what you're looking at, and they'll, they'll uh, get back to you and uh, let you know what they can do, what they can't do. And so if, you, if you're a millennial, you can't talk face-to-face. -face. You're, you're retarded in that fashion. You need to, like, go tech. They'll, tech. they'll tech you. They'll text you. They'll email you. They'll do whatever it takes. So we'll be right back. We're going to take another little break here, and we'll be back for another segment. I've been in the right place, but it must have been a wrong time. Did the right thing, but I must have used the wrong line. I've been on the right trail, but I must have used the wrong call. Hit us in a bad place, and I wonder what's good for. Is there anything still worth fighting for? Because we are surrounded by a world that demands we submit, succumb, and believe in nothing. And more and more we do. The yes men who turn their heads when the boss breaks the rules. The cowards who pretend they don't notice the elderly man fall and who walk right past the little girl who's way too young to be here alone, who raise the volume to silence a scream in the night. It takes courage to face the world at its worst, to run toward burning buildings and struggling neighbors, dishonesty, corruption, and abuse. Knowing what must be done won't be done unless you do it. That's what good guys do. And that's why we're still free. We're the five million men and women of the National Rifle Association of America, and we will never back down. Join us today. They call me the breeze. I keep low and low. talking over the last couple of weeks about a situation we've had locally but it's being replicated all over the United States we didn't start it thank God sometimes we start things out here in California and then people think oh it's cool we're gonna do it and it's a bad idea but uh, I don't think we started this I think we just have a, a culture right now that has run off the rails morally and uh, I mentioned that WorldNet Daily, if you Google it on WorldNet Daily or you, you look around their websites, they did, they, they've been keeping tally on all these relationships between school teachers and children. And most of them are women having sex with children. And it's just crazy because, you know, it's, before there was a public school system and unions, a community took great a great uh, effort, put out great effort to pick a teacher that not only 
was smart, but that was a person of character. And so when we moved from like the one-room schoolhouse or the two-teacher schoolhouse to schools that had 500 kids or 1,000 kids and you're hiring teachers in bulk, kind of, it's interesting. Lately, I've noticed in talking to people that they give me the impression, although I haven't talked to a, a school superintendent lately, that they don't really vet teachers upon their their private life or their personal life. And I guess it makes some sense if you're going to teach kids that they may be a homosexual, a heterosexual, a transsexual, a something sexual, a bisexual, fluid sexual, something something. If you're going to teach all that, then what difference does it make what the teacher is, right? And so... But it's so fascinating that, like in law enforcement, I've had people come to my house where they're they're doing background checks on somebody that wants to be in law enforcement, and they put my name as a character reference. So in law enforcement, they not only have to know the law, they have to pass the physicals, they have to go through all the training at the post academy, but they also have to do kind of a character background check to see whether they're a person of upstanding character that will be given the kind of authority where they can wear a gun and actually have the ability to take away your civil rights by putting you in the back of a police car and, and locking you up, right? So I always, had, I always liked that, that they're vetting law enforcement people. Does that mean it's foolproof? No, it's never foolproof because you never know what's lurking in the heart of a person, right? And so you could have some sinful tendencies there that never have come out where they were arrested for it and and make them like disqualifying for a particular job so it's interesting like i've always made the comment to people you can have a teaching certificate or a diploma from a certain college and be a horrible teacher right just like there's differences in contractors or there's differences in pastors some pastors are amazing some pastors are not so amazing right it, it's true of everywhere. It's, it, it's true in doctors or it's true whatever. You, there's there's some better than others. And so we get into this whole teaching pro, profession and, uh, you know, and I, I'm, even though I'm old, I can still remember teachers. And I remember teachers that were just incredibly amazing teachers and teachers that were so-so, you know. And... Uh, and teachers that just made you want to learn and teachers that just did their time and walked out and, you know, you hoped you got it, right? So this whole thing of the character of, uh, you know, when I was on the school board at Yuba County Office of Education, Rick Teagarden, the superintendent, started a big effort called Character Counts. Character Counts. In other words, he, he, was, a, he was doing a throwback to we weren't just teaching people information and trivia. We were teaching people how to be American citizens and people of upright moral character. And so he took great effort to add that in to everything else, saying, hey, this is what we're really teaching. We're trying to, you know, as the founding fathers said, we're, we're trying to uphold a re Democrat republic that, that if, if people are ignorant or if they're, uh, not virtuous and they're immoral, this republic will not stand because they'll do things that are dishonest and uh, they won't discipline themselves. We'll have, we don't want a police state where you have to have a cop on every corner because people are getting so out of control. 
So this whole, this whole uh, epidemic, if you will, of teachers having sex with young boys, and it's not just high school, it's clear down into grade school, uh, is pretty shocking. And the World Net Daily started to keep track and, and do sort of a uh, chronology, not only of date, time, names, but like kind of a couple paragraphs on what exactly happened here. And it's pretty shocking. Some of the teachers were actually females that were married and are still having sex with, with uh, boys. And uh, sometimes with girls, in other words, homosexual relations. And uh, so recently, uh, in 2015, there was, I think it was a 25 or 26-year-old young woman working for the Yuba County Office of Education that uh, was teaching uh, young men at, at uh, what they call a court school, or T.E. Matthews, just the name of a court appointed, a school that kids that are in trouble with the court have to go to. And uh, she ended up, uh, rumor got out, she was having sexual relations with a 15-year-old boy. And so she was dismissed. I don't know what legal consequences turned out on her case. The boy ended up going on to... California Youth Authority or prison or something, but he ended up, I heard, suing the county and, and getting an award for his parents. I heard 50000 but I, never, I don't know that for sure. That's not really the point of the whole situation. The point is, who, who in the world are you know, teaching our kids? One person once said, a lot of times in education, more is caught than taught. Uh, so then we see all these these uh, these clips with kids having their phones in class, and they secretly video their teacher going completely off the education rail and trashing Trump or mocking Christians or something like that. But just like crazy stuff going on in our school system. Instead of just teaching people how to, you know, how to have uh, the ability to think and sort things out and and know how to process math and uh, how to write well, think well, uh, read and digest a topic well. Uh, we got all this other baloney going on. So anyway, we have this teacher in 2015 that was uh, arrested for having sex with a 15-year-old, and now we have a teacher, Heather Frey, F-R-E-Y, maybe she pronounces it Fry. She's a 41-year-old lady, and uh, just from my lurking around talking to people, it turns out that she thinks she's been reincarnated, that she once was Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. Now, I don't know whether that should necessarily disqualify you from teaching, but it would definitely bring questions in my mind about her judgment, about her good judgment. And... Uh, and, you know, I know a lot of people, I don't know anybody personally that's gone to the Burning Man festivities in Nevada. But being that I was in the drug scene for years, I think people go over there and do a lot of uh, psychedelic drugs and get whacked and do some bizarre stuff and claim that that's really spiritual. Uh, you know, to me, it's just uh, so if you want to say, well, it doesn't really matter what a teacher does in his or her spare time. It doesn't count. I mean, I don't know what counts anymore. And so uh, this teacher, uh, you can go on YouTube and see photos of her dancing at the YouTube. Uh, the photo, the video I saw didn't show her dancing naked. It had her with her clothes on, but it was dancing at the uh, Burning Man festivities. But she had a lot of strange views. Now, the question this week in the paper 
it told about that Jim Arnold, who's the head of probation for Yuba County, where uh, his county oversees the Tri-County Juvenile Hall and uh, that's located in Marysville. But he'd done his investigation. He was done. And now it got turned over to the sheriff, Wendell Anderson, because now they're looking at a violation of the the PREA Act, which is the zero tolerance for having sex with inmates or or rape of inmates, started rape of inmates. But it really goes beyond that in this PREA training, which I took about a month ago. It teaches you about proper behavior around inmates where you uh, it warns you about becoming too familiar in your uh, activities with inmates, about becoming overly friendly and, and not keeping your personal uh, space, your, you know, separated from your professional space. So uh, anyway, this teacher, the, the word is at Juvenile Hall that she became very overly familiar with uh, a student at that time was a 17 year old student and uh, who became 18 at juvenile hall and was uh, took a plea deal for a manslaughter case and was going to go to jail to wait his turn to go to prison while she, while he was over at the jail, for some reason, she decided to go over there and marry him and visiting. You can marry people and visiting if you want over there before they go to prison. If you think that would be a good marriage, you can go do that. So she went and took out a license and went over and married this young guy. And uh, now I heard she's trying to get a divorce. It just seems, is this the type of person we want to teach our kids, an unstable person like that? And maybe you're going to say, oh, well, it just depends on how they perform in the classroom. Well, I guess it does. But I wonder how her performance was towards this guy in the classroom. Now, this week... uh, Another article, teenager who got his teacher pregnant sues her and the school for rape abuse. So this teacher, Laura Cross from Ohio, uh, groomed this boy from the age of 12 before sexually abusing him when he was 15, according to court court papers, right? This is like fresh news, just like right now. Says an abused student who fathered his predator teacher's child is suing her and the former school for rape abuse. This reminds me of the one where the the young boy sued the teacher uh, after he went to CYA. He enjoyed having sex with her, and then he got her to pay him some money. Laura Cross got pregnant by the pupil after grooming him since he was 12, the court papers say. Um, so. The pair started having sex when he was 15, and she coaxed him. His mother, now this is, this. you wonder about the mother, whether she's got a flat spot on the brain, coaxed his mother to let him live with her so she could mentor him. Now, I could see some moms doing that that were having trouble with their 15-year-old. I could see that happening in some of the kids I work with that are high-risk kids. Cross had his baby when he was 17 years of age and was jailed for three years for sexual assault in Akron, Ohio. The former student, now 21, is suing her, as well as two school districts and staff for failing to stop the abuse. Court documents say the wanton and reckless conduct of administrators failed to prevent Cross, that's the teacher, from sexually abusing, assaulting, and raping the teen. 
School bosses, not buses, bosses, school bosses and other workers knew about the abuse from obvious signs, quote unquote, from the student's father repeatedly telling them the lawsuit says. Now, that's interesting. The mother's letting the kid go over there and the father's repeatedly telling him, I think the teacher's having sex with my boy. Crazy. It's alleged that despite knowing of the grooming and the rape, staff did nothing to stop it. Now, it's interesting to me uh, that I think kids in juvenile hall knew something was up between this teacher and the student. Now, whether the staff did or not, I don't know. But whether they did or not, by the time the the teacher got caught, supposedly they've been doing... Uh, an investigation to the teacher in Yuba County, and I don't know what they've come up with, whether or not she had sex with him or not. In in this case, back in Ohio, it says the abuse was well-known within the school system and ignored. Huh. It's amazing. Well-known and ignored. Uh, It began in 2009 until he graduated from Talmadge High School in 2016. Seven years. Uh, let's see. She had three sexual battery charges she faced. Uh, she got released from prison, but she lost her teaching license. Now, this is interesting. Losing your teaching license. Now, in California, we talked about the guy that actually replaced Heather Frey, at Yuba County Office of Education is a guy named Jim Whitaker who worked for 20 to 25 years for the Yuba County or Yuba City Unified School District as a physical ed education instructor, coach, and maybe, I don't know whether he taught a health class or whatever, but anyway, he had a couple decades over there. And a number of women have come forward from various age groups, in other words, some that had been abused 20 years ago, And they've reported that he didn't have intercourse with them, but he had fondled them. And some more than once against their will. And they didn't know what to do or they went to the the, uh, district and they didn't do anything about it. Or that said the disciplinary action would be taken according to the file. And yet nobody knows of any discipline action taken. Right. So the school system, you say, well, how did they just blow off this? the rumors of this kid hanging out with this teacher. And uh, so it happened in Whitaker's case, although uh, I don't know that he ever got anybody pregnant. So the Yubson Unified School District last year, in the midst of woman after woman coming forward and talking to their board at the advice of their attorneys, uh, ended up ending... Jim Whitaker's employee status with the district. Now he has a right to contest that and sue them in court, which he did not do. Instead, he went to the state level to preserve his license or his credentials. And he did. And he, he got his credential and he's been floating around, uh, Sutter County substituting. In fact, a new superintendent of Sutter County schools, it's been reported to me, although I haven't talked to him myself, that he would be willing to hire Jim Whitaker. And that's Tom Russer, the new superintendent of schools at Sutter County 
uh, Office of Education. Well, that was interested, but I never would have expected that the Yuba County Office of Education, Francisco Ravellas, would have hired a guy with that many allegations against him. He's never been uh, found guilty in a court of law. That's amazing in itself. Some feel it's because his dad, who was superintendent, who was a sheriff for many years, almost two decades, was good friends with the district attorney, Carl Adams. And so everybody knew they could never make a case against him, against Whitaker during that time. But what you have now is uh, there's a term uh, that I've heard the term dan uh, dance of the lemons or passing the trash. And that's where teachers get moved out of one district or one school and then get incorporated into another district or another school to uh, carry on their dilly-dallying or their lousy teaching or whatever. So now the latest I heard is that Jim Whitaker was still uh, employed by Yuba County Office of Education. I think it's in light of the sexual craziness curriculum that's going to be voted on here coming up in another week or so, uh, the question is, who in the world is teaching our kids? Who are teaching our kids? And some of the teachers that I know, like at work for Doug Eshman over here at Mary Kovalod, are amazing teachers, teachers, teachers of high quality, uh, and they have a wonderful school there. The problem isn't the ones that are doing well. It's just like in society. I used to be a chaplain for law enforcement, and through reading, and, and also I took some criminology courses in college, and I learned that, uh, that really there's just 2 two to 3 4%, sometimes low as 2% of the people in society that commit 90-some percent of the crimes. They're, they're consolidated in 2% of the people. So the challenge is, is to identify those people and get them off the streets, or in the, this case of teachers, get them out of the school system. The difficulty has been in with the, the union system in the United States, the teachers union, is I used to say they actually had to have sex with a student to get fired. But now I know that's not true. But then I used to say they, they need to slit somebody's throat to get fired. But maybe that's not going to be true. The question is, what does it actually take to get a teacher fired? And certainly the quality of teacher doesn't get people fired anymore. And that's not a slam on the excellent teachers. But I think, you know, it's, it, it's the scapegoat type comment whenever I bring up these things is, oh, you're just slamming all the teachers. I'm not slamming all the teachers at all. In fact, if I had another life to live, I think I'd like to teach. I think it'd be fun and be a real rewarding uh, career. But I would be a good teacher and I wouldn't have sex with the students. Uh, so but it would be a delight to see students thrive and expand their knowledge and their consciousness under your tutelage. But uh, the question is, what, who, who are teaching our kids, and does, will anybody do, if you can pull off their credential? Now, don't tell me that teachers are really smart, because actually, I, I'm a college dropout, and I had a guy one time work for where I worked at the church and was a graduate of a four-year institution. And uh, one day he submitted something to me for my edit to edit some writing he did and i realized the guy was illiterate and he graduated from chico state and i thought obviously this guy never learned how to write now to me if a person ends up graduating from elementary school 
or high school and cannot write, the teachers ought to give their money back, give their pay back. It's horrible. And I met kids. I met kids before. I, in fact, I met a guy. I've met a couple of guys in the jail that could not read. And I thought, obviously, you can read. It's just somebody didn't take the time to teach you how to read, or maybe you just skipped the class and got loaded all day. So the question is that I'm asking myself is who are these people that are teaching in our school systems? And uh, some of them are amazing and quality people, salt of the earth type people, and others, uh, they belong in jail or, or they belong in some other line of work. Like Heather Frey, maybe she ought to run a deli or something or a dance studio or maybe... Uh, you know, maybe an acting opera operation if she thinks she's the mother of Jesus, right? Maybe she's a psychic. I don't know what she is. She certainly shouldn't have been teaching school. And, you know, somebody said, well, they don't. And, and it's, it's so fascinating. People say the funniest things. Somebody said to me the other day, well, they don't have a lot of people to choose from. I thought, well, do you just go down and put a banner on the side of your car Anybody can do any, anybody will do. If you can like talk and walk straight and pass a drug test, we'll hire you to teach our kids. Incredible. Or teach our juvenile hall. Cause you'd think we'd want the best teachers, uh, around to teach our juvenile hall kids. In fact, we used to have a teacher by the name of, uh, I think I heard she re he's retiring, uh, or, or re just retired Carol Holtz who taught in uh, high risk kids for 20, 30, 40 years or something like that. Carol was a great teacher and uh, she was in, you know, she focused on set of instead of teaching the easiest to teach kids, she chose to teach the hardest to teach kids. So uh, anyway, uh, this, this poor kid, uh, now he's going to cash in. Now he's figured out that this wasn't such a bad deal. You know, he's actually can cash in, even though the society is is perplexed about whether they're for adult child sex. They you can still sue and cash cash in. So he's going to sue. So his family says the dad and aunt suspected the relationship between the teacher and the boy may have been sexual. The father went to Bucktail High to report his suspicions, but nothing was done. Uh, and then he, he was enrolled in another school after moving into Cross's home nearby. You know, un unbelievable. Regardless of what happened, with whether the parents were screwy or not, we got a screwy teacher here, folks, and there's just hundreds and hundreds of them out there. Uh, I don't know whether you remember, years ago, we had a, a counselor at Marisville, uh Unified School District that counseled out at Kynock School. And he ended up molesting, I, I don't know how many boys. I met some of them that came through Juvenile Hall. They were totally troubled. Uh, I don't know, I heard up to 20 kids. And he ended up going to prison, thank God. But nowadays, it's just like, uh, would we even, like a lot of these females are getting off with probation. Can you imagine that? If you were a guy... And you had sex with an underage girl in your neighborhood, you get 10, 15 years, right? That was the old way. Now, the law, you know, that the sentiments about adult child sex are changing. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of prosecution 
this lady gets, if any. And maybe she didn't have sex with this guy. Maybe she just was romantically inclined towards him. I, I have no idea. I have no idea. All right. Well, I wanted to mention uh, another sponsor that's helped us out um, to stay, get this podcast started and, and uh, stay on the air for five years over in the, the radio, in radio land. And that's uh, the plumbing doctor. And they've done a lot of work for, for me locally. I think the last time they've just repaired faucets for me. I, I live in an old house. One day they came in to fix some leaks for me, and they said, Lou, what are you doing with all these old toilets in here? I said, well, what's the problem? They said, those things flush so much water, you're, you're costing you a fortune flushing all that water down the, toilet, down, down the sewer. So uh, they, put, they put some low-flow toilets in for me, saved me all kinds of money, and uh, I even got rebates. I got all kinds of benefits out of the deal. So uh, anyway... The plumbing doctor, they operate, if you're out there in one of these other states, you're out of luck. But if they're located here in uh, the Yuba-Sutter counties, you can tap into the plumbing doctor. And uh, they'll come out 24 hours a day if you're in a real jam. You're really hurting. They will come out and fix your problem. They'll make the, they'll make the liquid flow the right direction. 530-671-9111. 530-671-9111. And again, you know, some of these contractors, you can't count on them. They say, oh, I'm going to be by Monday. You wait all day Monday. You stay home from work. You're going to be there so the doors open. They don't come Monday. They don't come Tuesday. Then you got to call somebody else, start all over. All these guys that I'm dealing with, Monty Hecker with the security, Dave Greenitz with construction, and Ted Holmes with plumbing, they're on it. They're on it, and they're honest people. So they'll, they'll, get, the job, they'll get the job done for you. So, okay, um, let me see where we're going to go here. Did you see uh, that, uh, let me see if I got it coming up right here. Did you know that there's, you know, you know, subsidized housing is that in the United States, we have housing that if you qualify, they call it Section 8 housing here in California. It's just depending on the code, the law. Maybe in other states they have subsidized housing where you, you're low income, so you just have to pay a part of it, the housing. Maybe you have to pay $50, and the taxpayer is going to pay the other $700, right? Well, we have that subsidized housing in the United States, uh, throughout the United States, and it's run under this uh, department called Housing and Urban Development Agency, HUD, Right? And HUD has been uh, the target of all kinds of scandal and waste and abuse. You'll see these big multi-story skyscraper, just ghettos that are all busted up, glass busted out. They're all tagged up, and uh, they're, they're terrible ghettos, and they've just been trashed by people who just pay a portion of the rent. And so Ben Carson, the famous brain surgeon— that of all things ended up not over the health department of the of the United States, but ended up over housing and urban development, has brought to light this. I mean, the more you find out about illegal immigrants, it's just shocking. And so uh, did you know that illegals, it says 
Let me just, I'll read this portion. It said, nationwide, housing and rental prices for Americans and legal immigrants has spiked as Congress invited and allowed at least 45 million legal and illegal immigrants into the United States since 1970s. The resulting competition for housing has negated or made to no effect post-1970s wage gains and pressured many African-Americans and whites out of California and New York towards the South. So what he's talking about here is illegal immigrants and many even legal immigrants are tapping into this free or almost free housing in these uh, subsidized projects. And so Ben Carson is causing all kinds of problems because he's saying, why do these people get, why are we paying for people that don't belong here legally? Why are we paying for their housing? I agree totally. No other country in the world would do that. We'll finish up talking about that in a minute. We're going to take another break, and then we're going to come, I think, with about our fifth segment we're going to be doing in just a minute. Be right back. still believe in the golden rule then you must feel surrounded by a world that doesn't seem to care about it at all you've heard about wise guys on wall street who rigged the system to make sure that part-timers don't have a chance the politicians who write laws they'll never follow themselves and the spin doctors they hire to hide their true intentions from the people even in your own town and neighborhood you've seen people turn their backs on each other close their hearts and mute their conscience. When free people know the right choice but refuse to make it, we give up on each other, and we give up on our freedom, too. That's what makes good guys so special. They will never give up. We are the five million men and women of the National Rifle Association of America, and we still believe in the golden rule. Join us today. Game. Well, why not do what we did? Call Lincoln. At Lincoln, we got three rooms full of great carpeting for just 29 Although you might not believe it, I was once a highly paid executive for a major electronics firm. I'd come home exhausted every evening with a nagging headache and jagged nerves. Well, all that has changed now that I've learned about welfare. Thanks to welfare, I've quit my job. I sleep until noon, watch television all day, and I still get a check every month in the mail. Why, I even save money at the checkout counter thanks to Welfare's convenient food stamp program. And, unlike unemployment, the benefits never run out. You don't even have to speak English or be a U.S. citizen to qualify. Sound incredible? Well, it's true. If you'd like to find out more about Welfare, just pick up your phone and dial toll-free 1-800-WELFARE. That's all there is to it. Operators are standing by now at 1-800-WELFARE. Don't spend another week at work. Call now. Welfare. It's not just a benefit. It's a way of living. Sponsored by the United States government.
All right, well, we were talking about Ben Carson, who is famous for being an amazing uh, brain surgeon at John Hopkins uh, Hospital and uh, having a movie made about him. Not everybody gets that because of his huge accomplishments. And Ben Carson really is the epitome or the poster boy of... uh, a kid that got a rough start with a single mom that worked multiple jobs and uh, had some difficult times in his personal life, had a lot of anger issues, uh, where his mom kind of yanked a knot in his tail and got him to turn around, and a teacher took some interest in him, and he began to thrive. He went uh, from a situation where he was in a dive to thriving, and ended up one of the top, not just a good surgeon, but one of the world-renowned surgeons uh, to help children, particularly. And so uh, the, the, the sad thing is that because he happens to be black, instead of celebrating that, uh, celebrating his accomplishments, not from just because he's black, but because he came th- from such a difficult upbringing, it could have been any flavor, any color, instead of celebrating uh, what he overcame, uh, we now have people mocking him as an Uncle Tom, as a house nigger, and all other kind of terms uh, that he really isn't a true black person because he didn't support the black agenda. And the reason is, is because his life is exactly opposite of victim mentality and uh giving excuses on why you haven't performed well and so at one time in his life he didn't perform well and uh he changed that and then he performed at the top of his world right so having him uh as head of this uh housing and urban uh development agency is gnarly for liberals because they feel like there's people in our country they actually believe although they won't admit it nowadays they believe that black people were less evolved than white people and that was actually taught in the 1960s and 70s in universities Uh, and charles darwin believed that if you believe evolution that there were certain instead of one human race the, the human race there were races of people and certain races, not ethnic groups or races, certain races of people got a better start than others and evolved uh, further than others in terms of their accomplishments, their IQ, their intellectual acumen, etc. And so that blacks were just, uh, they were slow. They were just, you know, you met kids that are slow. They were slow as a, hu- as a race. And, uh, and that in, its, in itself was racist but never identified as such but uh they would people back in the 40s 50s 60s 70s would identify different things and other than that is racism but there were always people that were bright lights um amongst black folks uh that were overachievers martin luther kings who skipped grades in school because he was so smart he was just very intelligent and just said i don't need to take that i already learned that so i just moved on up but there are a lot more than that aren't as well known as martin luther king or ben carson but we tend to downplay those people 
and and rather than look at their lives or what they stood for, which are typically conservative people. Uh, for instance, Martin Luther King was a big Second Amendment guy. He encouraged black people to have weapons to defend themselves against uh, the Ku Klux Klan, which is a Democrat terrorist organization. So uh, Ben Carson to be placed over this housing and urban development uh, was fascinating to me when Trump picked him for that spot. And you haven't heard much about him lately, so hopefully he's quietly doing his business. But they say that the HUD policy will end a regulation which allows illegals to get some federal subsidy as long as there is one qualified person in the family unit. How does that work? If you're two adults, you sneak across the border and your wife is pregnant and she delivers a child over here, that child is immediately, according to the anchor baby laws, which are crazy, that baby becomes a U.S. citizen. Uh, If we deliver a baby and we're down in Mexico for a holiday, that baby does not become a Mexican citizen. But in America, they become an American citizen. So then that one qualified person, that that newborn, can qualify the rest of the family, could be a family of five, for federal subsidy on housing. That's called an anchor baby. And uh, this, uh, this new rule would require that all people living in a subsidized dwelling be screened through a federal database dubbed the Systematic Alien alien verification and for entitlements program now i think that's a great program either say uh no one that uh cannot show a legitimate citizenship uh, lineage here uh gets entitlements no one gets any kind of entitlements i mean i go to vietnam i go to china nobody's offering me anything and if i ask for something you get nothing unless you want to pay for it so that's a change that's happening at hud whether they're able to make that Uh, Normally what happens here is the Democrats will sue the government saying that's unconstitutional. You can't take away these this welfare. Right. Can't take away the welfare. So uh, they say that. uh, Trying to said this one uh, person, liberal Diane Yantel said. Secretary Carson's cruel proposal would break up families and destabilize communities while doing nothing to shorten the waiting list. In other words, the liberals thing, you remember under Barack Obama, the welfare lines, uh, the wealth, amount of people on welfare, the amount of people on food stamps, the amount of people on EBT cards, the amount of people getting WIC, all went up precipitously. The greatest numbers in American history. Why? Because he wanted it that. He's a socialist. So is Diane Yantel. She wants, she's president and chief executive of National Low-Income Housing Coalition. Those people are saying, hey, there's lots of people that are too stupid. They're too stupid. They, they are less evolved because of evolution. It isn't their fault. Just like some people are look like a guy, but it's not their fault. If we want to, if we want to figure out why they're asking, acting all feminine we need to go ask jesus himself he will explain why the guy is acting like a feminine person or for a lady's acting all masculine we need to go ask jesus that's what uh, the new mayor the mayor running pete 
new Mayor Pete. He's running for president. He said, listen, you got any questions about me, my sexuality? Just talk to Jesus about it. So we should. But Diane Yantel says, hey, anybody that doesn't have enough money, it isn't about them changing their ways, about them going and getting another job. I remember Ben Carson's mother, I think, had two or three jobs to support Ben and his brother. And uh, both of them turned out darn good. So anyway, that's Ben Carson and the and, and this whole scam is subsidizing low income. The argument is this federal government is subsidizing low income foreign workers and undermining the work of good American folks that are trying to make a good wage and doing well. Said it's flooding the market with cheap white collar graduates and blue collar foreign labor. It's intended to boost the economic growth for investors, but not for the regular working class person. Wouldn't it be great if government would just stay out of business, stay out of the business world? But they just won't. Now, this week, um, Gavin Newsom, which we're just getting to know Gavin. Uh, he's the mayor of, of uh, San Francisco for a while and was a lieutenant, uh, lieutenant governor. In other words, vice governor under Governor Brown. And you just, you know, you never know what's going to come out of his mouth. One one week, it's like you're going to give a pass to all uh, death penalties. Next week, you're going to let everybody vote. Next week, you're going to, uh, now he's saying, he's complaining about the high gas prices where where that he was actually a part of bringing about. And he's complaining about the high gas prices. It reminds me, I wrote an article recently where I talked about a methamphetamine addict. He was he was now sober. He'd done time in prison and turned his life around. And he said, you know, as a meth addict, he said, I'd steal my friend's meth and then I'd help him look for it the rest of the night. And that's what old Gavin Newsom's doing. He, he's created the high gas prices and now he's just going to go out and, and join our troop to try to figure out why in the world we have such high gas prices in California when actually he and the people just like him down there in Sacramento created these crazy regulations and high prices. Now, what they want to do, they'll blame it on the corporations that are actually drilling and doing the, re, you know, the research and development to find the fuel and to manufacture and refine it and to transport it, pipe it, ship it truck it you're gonna find fault with all those people but with government you'll never find fault when you talk to gavin newsom so uh newsom asked the california energy commission for an analysis now the california energy commission let me explain that to you it does not produce any energy they just kind of watch it And then they make comments about the energy, right? They don't, in fact, they may not have much energy themselves. So he asked this commission for an analysis of the state's gas prices by May 15th. Well, at least he's not going to give them like a half year to figure it out. Says California drivers are paying an average of $4.03 a gallon on Tuesday. That's just a couple days ago. And, uh, or $1.18 more than the national average, according to AAA, the insurance folks, AAA. So just for the privilege of living in California, you get to pay $1.18 more per gallon. And so for the average person, 
that drives, say, 30,000 a year, 30,000 miles, you're paying about four or $500 more per year just to drive the same amount of miles as a person up in Oregon or Arizona. So higher taxes. Now, now the logic, right, logic would say that gas taxes and DMV fees might go to fix the roads. So we'd have good roads to drive on, right? It's like when we all started and we had dirt roads, we had horses, and then they came out with motor cars, horseless carriage, and they created these cars and they thought, oh, how can we make smoother roads for these horseless carriage, right? So we'd have a smoother drive. And they'd say, well, let's all go together and we'll pay a little bit each and then we'll grade out the roads. Maybe they just had flat dirt roads filled in the ruts. So it says, so then we came up with the idea of, of paying a little bit of tax on the fuel, and then we'd have the best roads in the world. But, but the problem is that the politicians took that tax. Instead of paying it on roads, they used it for some of their other programs, like welfare and stuff. So it says higher taxes along with a combination of tougher gas standards and environmental regulations normally account for about 70 cents of that difference of a dollar 18 said Gordon shrimp, a senior fuel specialist with the California energy commission. But he said the rest is kind of a mystery. So, um, he said that difference is about $17 billion a year paid out by Californians. A family of four, the difference is 1700 a year for a family of four said Severin, Borenstein, faculty director at the Energy Institute at UC Berkeley's Business School. So isn't it so interesting? Well, I can tell you this. This is some things that uh, constantly go on. Governor Brown, even though they had plenty of money in the budget, according to people in the legislature, they had plenty of money in the budget to fix all our roads beautifully. He decided that Californians were cheapskates. And they were freeloaders. And therefore, he said, we're going to keep all the budget money for other stuff. And if Californians want to run on better highways, more lanes on your freeways so we can get more people through them, they're going to have to vote themselves a tax. And, uh, and so that's where SB1 came from. The legislature actually voted that through with a two-thirds vote. And then they recalled a guy uh, from down in Orange County over that. And then they put the gas repeal. That was Prop 6. But then we didn't vote it through, right? So now the legislature can can raise gas taxes anytime they want because it, that didn't get voted through. So uh, anyway, gas prices have been keep climbing. And 19 state lawmakers in January asked the radical attorney general, Xavier Becerra. He's like a gang member, but with a law degree. And he thinks he's really tough, and he always likes to threaten people, like posture and stuff. So um, so anyway, the it's interesting. Most of the gas tax in California does not go to help roads. It doesn't build any roads. It doesn't add a lane to a road. It doesn't fill potholes. It doesn't do jack diddly. But even though we pass a new gas tax, 
to go on top of everything. Oh, and then we have the cap and trade. You know, the cap and trade taxes. That's taxes that just says this. It's kind of saying, hey, you create a stink here. You create a problem in our society. So we're going to, if you want to continue to create that product, your byproduct is creating a problem. So you're going to have to pay a penalty. It's Again, taxes are penalties. The cap and trade tax. So on, under the cap and trade board or commission that's another commission that can just change prices without any rules no vote of the electorate no vote of the legislature they can just add costs the cap and trade costs and uh so that added another 15 20 per 20 cents onto the gas as well so that's that's what's going on in gas and uh let me see if i can get some further explanation for you just to dial it in so I mentioned dollar eighteen more. That's the triple A figures. Uh, then we heard from Hagerman. I think theirs was two seventy some. I I said I brought it up Texas. That was down in two forty three. So um, money money was uh, they're saving a lot of money just across the border. Now I noticed when I was over in, in Reno the other day when I was teaching a class over there. Gas wasn't that much exp less expensive there in Reno, which is just across the border. So I'm not sure whether Reno maybe has a big that big of a difference compared to some of the other states like Arizona or Oregon or some, something, something. So do you ever wonder uh, why? Have you ever noticed that a lot of politicians in Illinois uh, are corrupt? Right. A lot, a lot of governors have just been arrested and put in jail. They just come and arrest them after a while, put them in jail. It's amazing. So uh, four of Illinois' last 11 governors have gone to prison. Did you know that? Now, you may not like the governor you have in whatever state you're from, but maybe he or she didn't go to prison, right? But in uh, Otto Kerner... Otto Kerner Jr., to be specific, served as governor in Illinois from 61 to 68. A jury convicted the Democrat Kerner five years later on 17 counts of mail fraud, conspiracy, and bribery while he was a federal judge. Uh-oh. So uh, that happened to, to Otto, and um, all but four— Convictions were overturned on appeal, but he had four, 14 counts, 17 counts. So he got three years in federal prison and he resigned from the bench. So I think he was governor, then he went to the bench, right? In 1987, former Governor Dan Walker was charged with bank fraud, perjury, and filing false financial statements. Uh, the Democrat served as the state's chief executive officer from 73 to 77. He pled guilty and was sentenced to seven years in federal prison, was released after 18 months due to his failing health. So if you go to prison and you got really crappy health, sometimes they'll just let you out early. Next, we have this guy, George Ryan. You remember him? I think I remember this guy. <clears throat> He's a Republican that served from 99 to 2003. After he left office, he was arrested on a 22-count federal indictment. He was accused of giving licenses to unqualified truck drivers through bribes while he was Secretary of State. 
you know, that's through the occupational licensing. You know how that works. They shouldn't have to get a license anyway. But but what he did was he just he cut deals with these guys that maybe they couldn't qualify to get a truck driver's license, but he gave them one anyway if they'd pay him. So they found him guilty on all counts, and he was sentenced to six and a half years in federal prison. The most recent one was kind of a guy that you should remember, and his, his name's his name is Rod Blagojevich. He was kind of a high-profile guy back there in, in uh, because that was at the time Obama was senator. And uh, then he got elected president, right? And Democrat Rod Blagojevich was arrested in 2008 while he was still governor. He was found guilty of trying to sell or trade former President Barack Obama's old Senate seat. Now, that's amazing, right? In other words, Barack got elected president, so the Senate seat was available. And so Blagojevich was trying to make a deal because he was going to appoint whoever was going to get that job, right? And so he wanted some money out of the deal. So he was sentenced to 14 years in prison and remains in prison today. Uh, He also holds a distinction of being the only governor impeached uh, in Illinois history, and he's eligible for early release in 2024. Now, the reason I brought all these guys up is we have some other people that are in trouble. And uh, so we have a guy, I've never heard of him, but the guy's amazing. The guy's a billionaire. He's the richest politician in America, and I've never even heard of him. His name's J.B. Pritzker, P-R-I-T-Z-K-E-R, P-R-I-T, Pritzker. Billionaire governor of Illinois reportedly under federal tax investigation. So they haven't arrested him yet. And he's not, uh, they, they're not saying they're going to arrest him, but they said Governor J.B. and his wife M.K. and his brother-in-law are under federal investigation for a property tax break that netted the billionaire governor $331,000 in tax release, tax relief. Now, are you wondering what they did? This is so fascinating. My friends at, at uh, the plumbing doctor should take note of this. That might be a scam that they could get in on. The Pritzkers received a tax break after toilets were removed from a mansion the couple owns. And the mansion was later deemed uninhabitable. Now, this this is going to get bizarre here. But I think it's so fascinating that they even got away with it as far as they did. So as usual, the defendants say, I'm sure, the attorneys say, I'm sure that this is all a big mistake, it's a misunderstanding, and all this will come out and be resolved in court. Uh, and, but in the meantime, the tax break became such a big issue during the campaign that the Pritzker volunteered to repay 331000 in tax savings he received. In other words, he said, listen, I didn't do a thing wrong. But uh, I'm going to I'm going to give the money back anyway, just because I'm a generous guy. So uh, anyway, he's accused of stashing millions of dollars. This is a politician, right? 
Well, they're all over the United States. California's got their share. He stashed billions of dollars or millions of dollars offshore in zero tax Bahama bank accounts and took the toilets out of his Chicago mansion to dodge over $330,000 in property taxes, according to this guy that's talking here. He's a Republican. Uh, the Cook County Ins- Independent Inspector General called it a scheme to defraud taxpayers. Yet Pritzker continues to push tax hikes. On, in other words, he's wanting to raise taxes in Illinois, but he got himself a big old um, reduction. Now, there's some problem where he said he had to reduce. I can't find the exact passage in this uh, in this article to describe how he argued how he had to remove all the toilets because they were somehow improperly installed and the whole house became uninhabitable because nowadays everybody's plumbing needs to be indoors. You don't have to go to the outhouse. You have an in-house to uh, take care of that kind of business. So he wrote off the entire house as uninhabitable. Okay. So uh, let me see here. So anyway, Pritzker's the latest one, although it doesn't say he's going to lose his job. It just says he's going to he's going to cough up the money that he owes. Took the toilets out of his Chicago mansion and then they claimed it was uninhabitable. So I think they reassessed the value of it. Right after he pulled all the toilets, because something wasn't working the plumbing, so uh, it made it. You know, it's like it's like taking all the the wheels off your car. It's like, oh, it's yeah, it's a car. It is a car. You can sit in it. You can plant a garden in the trunk, but it's not going to be able to use. So, uh, all right. Well, that's Pritzker. Now, there's another gal. If if I can find out where she is on my list, where is she? Oh, she's right up here. She's close on my list. Catherine Pugh. So you've heard a lot about Baltimore. You remember the riots in Baltimore, and it's all the police's fault. You know those dirty, nasty police. It was all terrible police's fault. Remember, uh, oh, you had the attorney general, and you had his partner Obama. You know, uh, Eric and Eric, the attorney general and, and Barack, and they're going down there and saying, you know, you you this is a racist police department, right? Baltimore Police Department is on and on and on and on. So uh, anyway, Catherine Pugh, the FBI raided Catherine Pugh. She's the mayor of Baltimore. She makes like one hundred and eighty grand a year, right? Being the mayor of Baltimore, not a bad job. You can get elected to it. They, they raided the city hall office, her city hall office, two of her houses. And uh, the governor has now called Maryland, that's Governor Maryland, called on her to retire, resign, right? So she, let me see if I can explain a little bit. Um uh, Larry Hogan, who's the governor, called on Pugh, who has taken a paid leave of absence as mayor, to resign. <clears throat> He's a Republican governor, and uh, he asked the state prosecutor on April 1 to investigate Pugh's sales of her self-published Healthy Holly. She wrote a book, a series of children's books, by the title of Healthy Holly. And, uh, but then she turned around 
and she's on the board of the University of Maryland. And she, she's not paid to be on the board. She's just on the board. But she worked a deal where she would sell these books to the University of Mar- Maryland medical system while she's on unpaid board of directors. That's called a conflict of interest. Now, I used to be on a school board, and they said, Lou, we can't, you can't help us in these areas because, and I didn't even want any money. They said, we don't want you to help us in that way. We can't run any money through you because if we did, there'd be a conflict of interest. It's a big, big problem. I said, I don't want a big, big problem, so forget you then. Do it your own way. But Catherine, she sold her books, maybe because she didn't think anybody else would buy her books. She sold her books. And uh, through a government entity that she sat on the board of, and that's a big no-no. So agents of the IRS and the FBI executed search warrants at the mayor's homes, offices. And uh, so she is now having to leave her spot as well. So just one thing after another, one, one, uh, one politician after another. And, you know, every one of these p- people make an amazing amount of money. Now, Pew... Uh, said that she sold 100,000 copies to this medical system. What would a medical system do with 100,000 copies of a book? She sold them for half a million dollars. Not a bad little cut right there, right? Not a bad deal. Uh, so then she got Kaiser Permanente to buy 20,000 copies at 100,000. So that's... 600,000. Anyway, they say in all, Pew's Healthy Holly LLC took in at least $800,000 from local entities since 2011. Not bad. And maybe she was giving them some sweet deals as mayor uh, since they were buying her book. Just a thought. I don't know. Just a thought. Well, we're going we're gonna to take another break, and uh, we will be right back. Gonna find me a mountain Gonna hide out You ain't coming in Lord, I ain't coming out Do you still believe in privacy? Because you are surrounded by a world that says if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. But what kind of government spies on its own people? A government that bullies its citizens to comply and calls you paranoid if you won't. But is it paranoid to wonder what good could ever come from your life story existing on a government server? And is it paranoid to think that no one, and especially no government, has the right to collect your personal information without your knowledge, oversight, or permission? Demanding privacy doesn't mean you're hiding something. It means you believe in something. The right to a private life is one of freedom's greatest blessings. That's what the good guys believe. We are the five million men and women of the National Rifle Association of America. Join us today. Well, if you just checked in, you know you're listening to uh, No Hostages Radio, and 
You can catch us. Uh, we put these uh, shows up once a week. Uh, usually gets up Friday night or early Saturday morning. We kind of just started at that habit. Maybe we'll change it one of these days. But we started at that habit because I used to do a Saturday morning radio show. So people that are used to listening to me kind of look for me at that time. Uh, so again, you could, if you want to text me, you want to make a comment or maybe you want to correct something I said or embellish something, just shoot me a text at 713-1838, 530-713-1838, or you can email me at lou, L-O-U, at nohostagesradio.com and uh, give me a shout out. Uh, you can also reach me at uh, my Facebook is Lou Benninger. L-O-U-B-I-N-N-I-N-G-E-R. L-O-U-B-I-N-N-I-N-G-E-R. And uh, we can connect that way. Uh, people have reached out to me all different ways when we ended the, the radio show trying to figure out where to from here. So let's stay in contact, and uh, we'll just keep getting it on. I wanted to finish up today. we got about 30 minutes going, and, and I, I started talking about some of the, the problems in uh, – California, without getting into too many details or too many weeds, California has done everything it could to say we want to eliminate fossil fuels. At the same time, politicians will drive the most fossil fuel inefficient vehicles and fly the least efficient way. They'll fly solo, they'll charter planes, they'll fly their own jets. They don't worry about that, but but for the they want to make this public statement that uh, we don't want any fossil fuels. The problem is, and if if you'll remember that uh, the Energy Department of Energy Czar Stephen Chu, uh, Asian guy that supposedly they said he was the brightest guy in Obama's White House cabinet, Stephen Chu said that the way to get America to go all electric uh, or to go all clean energy, supposedly, was to get gasoline prices up to $9 a gallon. Well, we're, we're halfway there. You know, we're getting there. So, uh, so however they get there, where they artificially create the crisis, they'll get there. So one of the problems in California, it's interesting. Uh, we have this, it, you know, uh, the book 1984 described a nonsensical government where up is down and down is up. Right is wrong and wrong is right. And it's just it's just nonsense. It's like you're on LSD. And uh, so uh, the idea is, even though California has some may have the largest resources of fossil fuels in the nation and possibly the world, we've put a moratorium on on drilling for those. You say, well, I see some oil oil wells. Well, actually, you've been drilling. We've been pumping oil for years and years and years around here. And so some of those old oil, old oil fields are still in production, but new ones are not allowed. And there's all kinds of moratoriums on everything. Piping is limited. Uh, trucking and training uh, fuels in are limited. We now have said that, that in the summertime, we won't, we're not willing to use the same fuel, gas, gasoline that nevada and all the other states in the union so that means if we're short on gasoline here say if a if a refinery shuts down uh and they want to buy some loads of gasoline from another state they can't do that because they don't make the same uh flavor if you will of gasoline that we use in the summer 
So Californians use a, use a unique blend. Supposedly, that's supposed to be saving the entire universe. There's really no, uh, there's no evidence to this. It's kind of like global warming. If they say it enough, and uh, they just and they shame the people that disagree with it, then it's got to be right. So when they came up with the idea that hey. You know, we can use the sun. You hear people that are naive say, "Hey, well, we we can just use solar panels, or we can you, you we could power the whole United States with wind." Actually, it's totally false. For the thing is that the unreliable nature of solar and wind, being that you can't count on it every day, cloudy days, no wind, etc., no power. So it's such an unstable. Uh, type of power that you have all kinds of backup batteries all this nonsense and and we are almost 90 some percent relying our manufacturing and our fuel even the devices our wind devices the big windmills if you want to call them that uh, are made from fossil fuels every product that's sitting up there that thing on the top of the pole that that makes the propeller go around that thing is the size of they say a school bus but it's all a huge machine in there that's made out of fossil fuels and they said if you if you actually added in the cost and the expense and the carbon footprint of making one of those windmills you would never catch up with the carbon footprint you now don't make because you're just making electricity out of the wind so Solar panels, the only, in other words, if you and I decided, hey, let's make power another way. Let's, let's put up a windmill. Let's put up a solar panel. The cost to do, to do that and to make the whole system up and to produce it uh, costs more than it would uh, just buying electricity from hydroelectric for instance what they make up at bullard's bullard's bar the dam just above us here in yuba county they make hydroelectric all it is is water going over a turbine and you know uh spinning a wheel and making electricity to put it very simply so water it doesn't pollute the water it's just water being used over a device that makes electricity the other thing very inexpensive way to make electricity is nuclear and the downsize Nuclear disasters are very, very rare. You say, well, we don't want any disaster at all. Well, take a look at your solar fields. Take a look at your wind turbines. Take a look at your wind turbine fields that are now defunct, that are broken, that are worn out. And let me just back up and say that the only way that solar panel production of electricity and wind turbine production of electricity can produce energy at the price you're paying for it now, which is an extremely high price in California, 60% higher than the rest of the nation, is because our tax dollars, you know, when your tax dollars are given to government, a lot of times we just lose track of them, right? That money is being given to solar panel industry companies, wind companies, as a subsidy to produce this wind uh, electricity and solar electricity. Then the uh, companies like Pacific Gas and Electric are told how much they have to pay for these clean energy type of utilities, and it bumps the price up to everybody. So 
this guy, Mark, Michael Schellenberger, who writes on this topic a lot, he says renewable portfolio standards significantly increase average retail electricity prices with electricity increasing by 11% seven years after the policy's passage into law and 17% 12 years after the, the economists wrote this. The study, which is yet to go through peer review, review was done by uh, several folks. Uh, but basically they say that all of these green energy, so-called green energy, which they really aren't green, but because to produce the products, you need fossil fuels. The cost of consumers has been staggering high. All in all, quote, seven years after passage in, in the 29 states, uh, had paid $125.2 billion in 29 states. They paid $125.2 billion more for electricity than they would have in the absence of that policy. In other words, if they just stuck with fossil fuel and nuclear fuel and hydroelectric fuel and even fuel uh, driven by coal, clean coal, they would have spent... I mean, think about what our country could have done with $125.2 billion rather than just waste it the way it was done. Solar and wind, he says, required that natural gas plants. Think about this. Now they say, oh, yeah, clean. You know, a lot of these young college students, they have no idea what they're talking about. Solar and wind power require that natural gas plants, hydroelectric dams, batteries or some other form of reliable power be ready at a moment's notice to start churning out electricity when the wind stops blowing and when the sun stops shining and and unreliability this unreliability requires solar and or wind heavy wind heavy places like germany or california and denmark to pay neighboring nations or states to take their solar or wind energy when they're producing too much. So in other words, you know, when they have these Santa Ana winds down in Southern California, or they had big winds in Northern California, and you have these turbines that are spinning in Altamont Pass, and they're producing more energy than California can use, we actually have to pay neighboring states to take that energy off our hands. Tell me how that's helping anybody. The only way that's helping you is if you have this belief and that somehow pulling oil out of the ground and driving a gasoline vehicle is killing the entire earth. And obviously, you don't know what you're talking about if that's the case. So the higher cost of electricity, this guy say, reflects the cost that renewables impose on the generation system. Economists note, including those in, associated with the intermittency, in other words, on and off, Sometimes they're producing, sometimes they're not. Higher transmission costs and any stranded asset costs assigned to ratepayers. In other words, ultimately, when the government says we are going to use these products, then ultimately it has nothing to do. When the, when the private industry says we're going to offer this product, remember when New Coke came out? We had Coca-Cola the same for centuries. Then we had New Coke, and people said we don't want New Coke, Right. So they, they changed it. But if government introduced new Coke, they would just simply say, you're either going to drink that or you're not going to drink anything. That's what's happening here with renewables. So they say, we like them. 
So whether you like them or not doesn't make any difference. You're going to pay for them, right? The electricity you, you're getting is going to be from renewables or you're not going to get any at all, right? And if you say, well, I'm going to produce my own, they'll say, no, you aren't, right? So he says, but renewables uh, are renew." But he says, are, the question is, are renewables cost-effective climate pol- policy? So even if we're paying a ton more for electricity, the question now is to environmentalist types, is it cost-effective climate policy? And this writer who writes on this topic all the time says, no, they aren't. Uh, the economists write that the cost per metric ton of CO2 abated. Uh, in other words, the cost of metric ton of CO2 that was eliminated or we didn't we didn't create it exceeds one hundred and thirty dollars in all specifications and ranges up to four hundred and sixty dollars, making it at least several times larger than conventional estimates of the social cost of carbon. The bottom line it actually is worse on the environment to use solar and to use uh, what I call bird blenders than to use hydroelectric, nuclear, or fossil fuel. And it's so fascinating to me of all the freak out from people like the Audubon Society and the Sierra Club and all the environmentalists concerned about birds and eagles and endangered species they did a they never squawked one time when the Obama administration gave waivers for killing thousands of birds in these bird what I call bird blenders. And they're the big windmills that are in these uh, in these big windmill fields you see all over the world. And uh, the fact is that some countries are saying it's a loser deal. It's already a loser deal and they're getting out of it and we're still trying to get into it. And we're just saying, you know, by God, we're going to do this, whether it saves anything or not. So uh, I'm going to finish up today. I'm going to talk about uh, the hypocrisy in the media. Uh, In the pro-Muslim media we have uh, today, in that anything uh, Islam or, or Muslim goes, and anything Christian or church uh is debunked and so whether it's a uh, sifting out of the news and it's puffing up anything that's done by a muslim or anything positive done by muslims and it's putting down anything positive done by christians or anything uh anybody that does anything extraordinarily well and he happens to be a christian they minimize that or if there's anything negative that happens in the muslim world it's minimized even though there's now thousands of been uh, terrorist attacks they still give a pass that most all Muslims are killed the, the question isn't whether or not are, in other words, most Muslims are uh, are innocent the issue has never been whether or not most Muslims are innocent the issue is the fact that most if not all of these terrorism killings are Muslims and, uh, and you're not going to find uh, Christians out there going and burning down mosques. So uh, recently, it, this was really brought out um, extraordinarily in, in the city of Christchurch, New, Ze- New Zealand, where two mosques were attacked. And uh, 50 or more people were killed and many, many more wounded. 
And so it was a disaster, right? And the, the person was described as an eco-fascist uh, who, interesting enough, was advocating socialism, green nationalism, and uh, and in talking like uh, Bernie Sanders and the like. But he ended up going out and actually doing a killing that would probably bring people to the point of, oh, let's let's now not only go green nationalists and be a lefty, but also denounce all guns. So anyway, so he kills, blows up and destroys this this mosque and uh, a lot of people in it. So the news went absolutely rabid over it. Uh, They went nuts. But the fact is that any day of the week you can find uh, Christian Christians or churches being annihilated throughout the uh, the earth. And uh, I think I read here a year or so ago in the 20th century, more Christians had been killed in the 20th century than from the beginning of the church to the 20th century. Just think about that. If you add up all the martyrs, people from the time of Jesus on forward to the 20th century, more people are killed in just 100 years in the 20th century than all those other years combined. Now, in Nigeria, from February to mid-March, not 50, but 280 Christians were murdered in violent attacks by the Fulani militants. If you haven't heard of them, it's a, they're a, the Fulani people are a nomadic herdsman tribe, people group. Uh, They move cattle around and, uh, but they're Muslim. They've been converted to Islam. And so along their way, uh, they're intolerant. Remember, the the liberals in this country say we should be tolerant, but they're intolerant of anything moral or Christian. So as they drive their cattle, they have, along with that, they've driven out uh, Christians, the Christian minority that's left in Nigeria. And they not only do that, they don't only tell them to leave, but they set their homes on fire and... uh, they create a lot, a large amount of refu- refugees, and in some parts of Africa, they maim. They just don't kill people, but they chop off limbs of people uh, to maim them and to f- cause fear in other people. It's not an unusual. Uh, people and have done barbaric type things for years to uh, get people to cave in quickly uh, when they came to town that they wouldn't fight if they knew they are going to be uh, maimed and, and body parts removed. So um, in a single day last week, uh, Fulani, uh, the Fulani people killed 52 people and destroyed 100 homes. Did you hear about it? Don't think you probably did. It wasn't really covered. Uh, it was in two villages. Another 43 homes were destroyed later the same day. So that's 95 homes. Uh, and... Uh, Since 2016, I want you to think about this. This is how incredibly uh, blatant the the, uh, leftist, anti-Christian agenda of the left uh, is, uh, of the liberal is. And since 2016, it says tens of thousands of Nigerian Christians have been displaced and thousands murdered. The Fulani militants have become so so murderous, in fact that they have now killed uh, more innocent Christians and others than the infamous African Islamic terrorist group Boko Haram ever did. Now, you remember Boko Haram? 
During the Obama administration, the Boko Haram uh, went out and they captured, was it a couple hundred young girls? And do you remember the best response? Because Obama being, if not a Muslim, sympathetic to the Muslim cause, he, the best he could do is his wife hashtagged like save the girls or something. I don't know. It was some kind of hashtag comment about release the girls. That was it. In other words, with liberalism, <clears throat> if you say a prayer or have a good thought towards somebody, then you actually save their life. Uh, but many of those girls never were gotten back. But uh, the, what they're saying here is the Fulani militants have become so murderous uh, that they're uh, they're competing with the infamous Boko Haram. So detailing the evil of the Fulani attacks, Andrew Boyd of the uh, United Kingdom-based uh, charity, it's called Release International, they described a common tactic where the militants would fire shots at night and scare people, and then they lie in wait with machetes for them, and uh, remember I told you they chop parts off their body. And uh, so when people start hearing gunshots and they flee their village, out in, they go out in the wild areas or the remote areas, men, women, and children, they kill them. And worse, the government seems to do little to prevent it. So they chop them up. Uh, so this goes on to say that the attacks on Nigerian Christians barely scratches the surface. Now, that's a mouthful because I just said tens of thousands of Nigerian Christians have been displaced. Open Doors USA, uh, they have a, two, a watch list. You can go on and, and look at their uh, list of nations on which nations are the most violent towards Christians. And uh, in the 219 watch list, it tracks oppression of Christians worldwide. Nigeria is only the 12th worst country for the persecution of Christians uh, worldwide. It's interesting that India, um, where where the church I uh, go to is now doing some work and experienced some of this trouble in India. India now ranks 10th on the list. A militant Hindu nationalism has taken root uh, with the new prime minister. And, uh, and the discrimination against Christian is associated with vandalism against Christian churches, raids, raids on worship services, and attacks on those who convert from Hinduism. So the other thing, the other areas that, that I'm involved in and been involved in since the early 90s is in China. And in the early 90s, um, in fact, it, it began as much as people hate Richard Nixon, former President Nixon. He actually was key to opening up China to the world again and, and actually was a blessing for China as well as the rest of the world. But not not too long after that, the borders at China, people could actually go into China and, and trade and visit China. So in 19 early, I don't know, about 1990, I began to go into China and thousands and thousands of people every day were crossing the border into China and, and coming in and out, in and out, doing trade. And so uh, what happened is that uh, that went out well, that went on under a couple premiers, and uh, but the latest premier has changed everything. And the latest premier, which you see meeting with uh, with uh, President Trump and North Korean uh, prime minister or president as well, 
Uh, he is taking the 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 uh, intolerance of China uh, regarding religion back to the Mao days, and so they're shutting down uh, large congregations, they're arresting pastors, uh, they're surveilling churches. They now have facial recognition at government uh, government authorized churches where you have to get your photo taken when you go in. Uh, mil- the military, students, children cannot go to church. Uh, underground churches are forbidden it, it completely. China has moved from the 43rd uh, most uh, vi- violent against Christian to the 27th. Uh, people that I know working in China, right now you can't take any what I call contraband into China. If you took Bibles into China in a backpack, they would stop you remove your visa and take the Bibles. Uh, that didn't always, that wasn't always so before you, if they might, if you had a lot of Bibles on your, on your body or in your bag, they would take the Bibles and then you could pay a, a small fine and take them out with you. That's now changed. The oppression of, of, of Christians also includes other rel- religious groups, including Muslims and Falun Gong people. It's estimated that 800,000 to 2 million Muslims may have been forced into internment camps in China. Uh, that's true of also of Christians and Falun Gong adherents. Uh, so there's a move against Christians. It's interesting, though, that, the, that you don't see much in the, in the uh, media about any of these attacks on Christians. But you do anytime a Muslim is, has any kind of problem. If a Muslim's being asked to take off their uh, their Hibab or any kind of their the style of dress or infringe upon any type of their worship style or whatever. Uh, that's a big deal. So it says um, uh, India's number 10. The next eight uh, most res- repressive countries in the world are all Muslim majority countries. Number nine, Iran. And then you have Yemen, Eritrea, uh, Sudan, Pakistan, Libya, Somalia, and Afghanistan, uh, in the, in the Middle Eastern, uh, in in these Middle East, Eastern African and Asian countries, attacks against Christians commonly include rape, beheadings, murders, enslavement. Iraq also a Muslim uh, majority dropped to 13 on the list, primarily due to uh, the defeat or near defeat of ISIS. So um, this article says unquestionably the most evil persecution of Christians is found in North Korea, ruthlessly controlled by uh, Kim Jong-un. And uh, the crimes there are incredible, uh, starving. Uh, It's actually, if you read any books, if, if you're interested, I could refer you to some books of people that have escaped there after suffering. And uh, many people Starving, forced abortion, crushing Christians with steamrollers, uh, using them as target practice, crucified over open flames. Uh, it's just, it's pretty gnarly, and it's hard to believe. I, I think you remember Otto, his last name, he's Jewish, Warm Buyer or something like that, was beaten to death. Uh, he was brain damaged. He was a... Uh, student from one of the universities back east and went over there and was held because he was taking political contraband i think he took a banner or a or a poster 
He was going to take it home as a souvenir. They beat him to death and brought it, sent him home, brain damaged, and he died here at home. But uh, they are gnarly. He was just a young, thriving college student when he went over to see uh, North Korea. Uh, so uh, it's something to be aware of. It, it's interesting how Muslims are wor- working their way into the school system, uh, working their way into Congress, working their way into all kinds of financial benefits from the federal government, state government, and certainly in the school system, teaching about Islam in the schools, uh, whereas Christianity or other religions are not taught about, but, but Islam is taught about it. I've looked at some of the textbooks, and they never talk about any of the, uh, what I would consider the gnarly parts or excesses or the violence or the intolerance of, of Islam. So uh, if, you, uh, if you're thinking about some of the Muslim neighbors you may have in Yuba and Sutter counties, I know a number of myself, get along with them fine. They go to the, the mosque out here on Terrabuena Road. I've been out there myself, uh, set in a meeting out there. Uh, that's not necessarily the people we're talking about, but the fact is people in that genre of religious philosophy uh, are not going to tolerate you or the, the American way of life. The interesting thing is they came to America for the prosperity of America, but they didn't come to America for the religious or the, or the political philosophy of America. So what you're facing is a eventual takeover of that entire aspect of American life. Well, we come to the end of uh, our fourth show, and so we hope you get something out of it. Again, nohostagesradio.com is where we're going to be hanging out, and you can reach us at 530-713-1838 or Lou at, at nohostagesradio.com. And if you've got any comments, otherwise we will catch you in a week. We're so glad to see so many of you lovely people here tonight. We would especially like to welcome all the representatives of Illinois' law enforcement community who have chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, 